ShotGlassDigital.com. Rebel Force Radio is brought to you in part by Little Debbie Snacks, bakers of all galactic goodness, like mini donuts, star crunch, cosmic cupcakes, cosmic brownies, nutty bars, and much more. It's all about celebrating your love of a galaxy far, far away. And Little Debbie is the fan's choice for all those sweet moments. Little Debbie, official snack of Rebel Force Radio, Rancho Obi-Wan, and fans around the galaxy. DorksideToys.com. For the latest Star Wars action figures, Marvel, G.I. Joe, and more, visit DorksideToys.com. From Tops comes the all-new digital card collecting app, Star Wars Card Trader. For the first time ever, collect and trade everything from legendary 1977 Star Wars cards to new cards featuring exclusive content from Star Wars Episode 7: The Force Awakens, all from the comfort of your mobile device. Star Wars Card Trader. These are the cards you're looking for. A small rebel force has penetrated the shield and landed on Endor. This is where the fun begins. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is Rebel Force Radio. Your source for the Force. Star Wars news and commentary. With Jason Swank and Jimmy Mack. I've seen Star Wars 500 times. Star Wars number one. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. Now it's time for Rebel Force Radio. We would be honored if you would join us. There's so much, I don't even know where to begin. How about it? What an incredible couple of days of news and information about The Force Awakens, uh, the, the, the Han Solo standalone movie. I mean, Entertainment Weekly has just been in overdrive with this stuff. So much so, Jim, that I did something that I haven't done. I don't even know when the last time is that I made a special trip to the store to buy a magazine only to find that it hadn't hit shelves yet yeah you know it's it's sort of hard to track down those entertainment weeklies i remember when we were featured in um uh, an issue not too long ago i searched high and low for a couple of weeks until i finally stumbled across one copy but you always hope that they're going to break street date you know that's a big topic these days too Breaking yeah. street date. We've seen um, those of you that have been uh, following online. I'm sure you realize that a number of the Force Awakens products, including the action figures, uh, have already been uh, showing up, showing up on eBay as some of these uh, stores uh, just, uh, you know, the clerks just start putting them out. Hey, here's a box of Star Wars toys. Put them out on the shelf. <laughs> What's all this fancy lettering and writing on the side of the box? <laughs> what does that mean? September 4th. Uh. September 4th. We got it in now. Oh, they're going to spoil. Let's get them out soon. This needs to they're gonna, go. They're gonna hey, here's a, here's a little tip for consumers, though. Because of the fact that there is this September 4th street date for a ton of new Star Wars merchandise, if you go hit the stores now... You're going to see the older stuff, the older Star Wars merchandise, things from Rebels, old stuff from Hasbro, et cetera, et cetera. It's going for massive discounts because they need to move that old stuff. So I'm scoring all kind of Star Wars memorabilia left and right. I got a two-pack mission series, Hasbro action figures, Anakin Skywalker, and a 501st Trooper. For a dollar nineteen this morning at Walgreens. So I'm telling you, folks, 
keep your eyes open if you're a collector and you might come across some seriously that's sick like, yeah, good deals. That's like 1981 prices. That's, yeah, that's, well, it was two figures. It was right. better than uh, to better. Yeah. Than, you know, oh my so. god, better. Um wow, incredible. Incredible. You know, I do have one little gripe. What? If I if I might bring it up. Speaking of Force Friday, yeah. or as I like to call it, Force Thursday on a school night. Right. Uh, And there's your gripe. There's my gripe. Uh, I just I find it so strange that they would pick a Thursday that is a you know, it's a work night for those of us that are uh, working folk. And it's a a school night for the kids uh, for that to be the big release. Jim, you and I were talking about this earlier in the week and you said, well, I don't think they could still call it Force Friday. They could put the toys on the, you know, the merchandise uh, out by say eleven o'clock on a Friday, mm-hmm. and you can still call it Force Friday. You know, I I recall they uh, did the big reveal of Revenge of the Sith toys and figures and merchandise on a Saturday, and it was perfect Sith Saturday. Yep, Midnight Madness. So it gave you that Midnight Madness on a Friday night. How cool is it to blow out of work, blow out of school for the weekend, and you can go wait in line for the new Star Wars memorabilia? But a lot of kids. And working folk, guys who punch the clock nine to five, they're not going to be able to partake in Force Friday unless they want to be seriously sleep depraved the next day. Yeah, or like play Jason. some. Yeah, I will be or play some Wookie Hooky, little Wookie Hooky, and uh, score some Star Wars stuff. I'm, I'm. I got to be honest with you, Jason. I know I'm saying this today. I'm on the fence about the Midnight Madness part. I'm all for Force Friday, but I might wake up in the morning and go partake as opposed to waiting in line. Yeah. You know what? Hearing myself say that out loud on microphone, though, is the lamest thing that ever came out of my mouth. Bull! I'm going out there at midnight. Got to go out there. What am I doing? I'm not waiting until We'll be texting each other. You know what? We'll be out there. Where are you? Uh, Toys R Us. (laughs) I think Walmart is going to be my preferred... And desired location. Well, hell, I, I, you can go buy the toys at Walmart now, apparently. Walmart's the big <laughs> offender in all this. You know, yeah, I, right. I, and I had to laugh. There was one, I noticed uh, somebody posted, they're like, I, I wonder if Walmart's going to lose their distribution license for Star Wars. Like, yeah, I, I don't think so. I think Walmart's safe. They're like the number one retailer in the world. I right. think they're going to be all right. <laughs> I think they're going to be all right. I don't think any licenses, licenses are going to be yanked from them. But uh, no, I, you know, there's big... Big storeroom. They're pulling out toys and stocking the shelves. And uh, but but uh, you know, I'm for one am glad actually that they leaked because uh, based on the photos, uh, th- these figures look awesome. I mean, the sculpts look incredible. Uh, the, the reviews that are coming in of people who actually have their hands on them are off the charts. They're saying these are beautiful figures. Five points of articulation, Jim. So this is very retro in a lot of ways. Remind me of the episode one figures that came out, or of course the classic Kenner stuff. Well, and, and many folks are, are complaining about that because we've seen heavily articulated figures over the course of the last few years. Price points have risen and um, the articulation remained. And I think right now uh, the drive is, is to keep the figures at a reasonable price at retail. What I like about the lack of articulation is the fact that the sculpts don't suffer. I think articulation often will hurt the sculpt because it, be, it becomes so obvious. You see the pins in all the joints, and, and it looks mechanical sometimes. So these figures look fantastic. The cards look amazing 
And I don't think I've been this excited for a Star Wars action figure line in a long time. There's 12 new figures, very retro. Remember, collect all 12 from back oh in Oh, my 19, gosh, yeah. I didn't even think about that, yeah. And I'm, I'm just talking about the main line. Right. There's the 12 new figures. And uh, we've seen uh, sneak peeks at all of them today. Uh, Finn, Ray, Kylo Ren, First Order Flame Trooper, Captain Phasma, uh, First Order Stormtrooper. You know, I was, of course, looking forward to all this, but uh, now, particularly, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see these. I, I, Poe I, Dameron, I, Resistance Trooper, and then there are these other figures, armor figures. You, you put this plastic armor on them. Yeah, just... I'm looking at these now. What is this? Uh, is that who's the? Is that Han Solo? No, there we is no. We haven't seen Han Solo, have we? Uh, we have not seen a Han Solo yet. I'm looking Not at this. Um, these leaked photos, at least. Yeah, I'm looking at uh, this. Who is this character? Oh, you could be looking at Poe Dameron. He's wearing the exact same outfit that Finn is wearing. Ah, that that's what jacket. I'm looking yep. at. Yeah. Okay, that's what I'm looking at. And okay. he's one of those armor figures. And from yep. what I can tell, that figure of Poe is not going to be released on like a basic series card. So that might be an armor figure that a lot of people are going to be searching out because that's the only way you can get the figure. Curiosity comes over me looking at this line when I see the inclusion of a Bespin Luke. Oh, I, I said it kind of like Billy D. You there. did. I was going to just say. A Bespin. 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 There's a Bespin Luke. And uh, a Darth Vader. And there has been, you know, some fan speculation and rumor that we might actually see Darth Vader in some way, shape, or form in The Force Awakens, be it in a flashback or somebody else wearing the armor or a, who knows what. Ah, maybe it's a hologram. I know. Oh, yeah, sure, you know. Um, <laughs> well, you know, my theory on this, Jim, and I've been, I've been saying this, is that you know this is nothing new when it comes to Star Wars merchandise in the, in the toys. Uh, you know, they would take... When it, when a subsequent movie would come out, say Empire Strikes Back, they would re they would repackage all the figures from the, you know Episode Four onto Empire cards, and then those would all be carried forward onto the Jedi card. And um, so it, that's not new. Um, we do know from previous interviews and in our podcast exploits with Hasbro that they want to keep a Darth Vader figure on the shelves, on the pegs at all times because it's the number one selling Star Wars figure. Yeah, um, but it doesn't explain Bespin Luke. And that's well, that's an interesting one. Well, again, I think, that one? I think they're just trying to keep core characters on the shelves, uh, swinging on the pegs. And uh, with each wave, we'll be seeing flashback figures just to make sure that the classic films are being recognized in toy for- form. You'll notice on the cards, Jason, every card says right underneath the Star Wars logo, The Force Awakens except for Bespin, Luke, and Darth Vader. So You're right. Boy, that's a very subtle uh, difference in the packaging. Very subtle. As far as I can tell, it's the only difference because despite the fact that they're original trilogy characters, you're still seeing Kylo Ren on the packaging. So You know what, Jim? The same is true. Um, now that you bring it up, the same is true with those armor figures because they're they're of course all the Boba Fett fans are going crazy because these deluxe armor figures include a Boba Fett figure, they include a Jedi Luke figure, and uh, exactly what you say underneath the Star Wars logo in the top left, uh, no Force Awakens 
there. Right. Whereas with the Poe Dameron or the Finn, uh, you do see the Force Awakens um, title underneath the Star Wars logo. So, so I think I. that yeah, that indicates to us that these are just old school additions to the new line, just to be able to maintain a foot in the the, the mythology of the past yeah. when it comes to Star Wars. Well, as I said, we have uh, a. a so much to talk about, so much to talk about, and we're really excited because uh, those of you who have been following along, all of the wonderful stories that have been breaking on Entertainment Weekly's website at EW.com, we've got the man himself. We've got the senior writer, Anthony Bresnikin, who's been uh, writing all of that stuff, as well as was the moderator for the Force Awakens panel at Star Wars Celebration. So uh, no better source to talk about these these stories in the writer. So that's going to be coming up here in just a few minutes. But first... I got a sweet tooth coming on. (laughs) Every week, we have to satisfy that desire to have amazing, incredible snacks. And, you know, that's probably what we do best here, other than Star Wars, is snacking. It's a Rebel Force Radio talent, and Little Debbie recognizes that because each and every week, Little Debbie gives back to the Star Wars fan community in the form of, of Little Debbie Galactic Snack Packs that get sent directly to your house if you are lucky enough to win one. And Rebel Force Radio is the only place where you can win one of these Galactic Snack Packs filled with Little Debbie treats. You might find Nutty Bars. You might find Star Crunch. You might find cloud cakes or as we call them cloud city cakes (laughs) you never know what you get in a galactic snack pack and best of all it's sent to you totally free of charge just because you support us here at rebel force radio and you are a big star wars fan that's all you need to become eligible to win oh yeah one other thing you have to hit the social media networks like twitter and facebook and you have to say cool stuff about rebel force radio and little debbie in the same tweet or post. And this week, our winner takes us back to last week's show. And Jason, you probably remember the uh, amazing discovery of the long-lost screen test for Michael Jackson uh, as he was uh, auditioning for the role of Jar Jar Binks for George Lucas. It was uh, really just an eye-opener when you think about the history of Star Wars. It, it really was. It was sort of like, uh, it was one of those Holy Grail kind of moments. Or like Al Capone's vaults. Yeah, it was. Except there was a big payoff when we actually opened it up. <laughs> or was there? I don't, I don't know. I don't, do, you, do you actually have the screen test handy? Should we uh, listen to it again? Just to, to make sure that we really understand the significant nature of this find. And its impact on not only the history of Star Wars and the George Lucas-produced prequels, but its impact on Star Wars fans. Where could have the prequels gone if Michael Jackson was actually hired to play the role of Jar Jar Binks? And I think in his screen test, you do hear potential, but ultimately George Lucas made the decision to go with Ahmed Best and... The prequels stand as we know them and as we've all always known them. But what would it have sounded like if Michael Jackson 
actually played Jar Jar Binks in the Star Wars prequels. Jar Jar Binks, screen test, Michael Jackson. Okay, start now, George. <laughs> okay, Michael. Uh, let's take it from the top. Better dead here than dead in the core. Ye gods, what am I saying? <laughs> okay. Can you bring it down a little bit? Bring it, bring it down. Better dead here than dead in the core. Ye gods, what am I saying? Uh, okay. Monsters out there, leaking in here. We say all sinking and no power. When are you say tanking, we say in trouble. Now faster. More intense. Monsters out there, leaking in here. We say all sinking and no power. When are you say tanking, we say in trouble. Come on! <laughs> Next. Nice. Oh, and that must have been when Ahmed came in. Yeah. At that yeah. point. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, they pass each other, you know, kind of looking. You know, yeah. You know, uh, looking them uh, up and down. <laughs> They both have those Jar Jar heads up on top of their own. You know how yeah, they the would hats. wear that? It was yeah. like a Jar Jar hat with eyeballs. Yeah. And the visor over the their vi- own yeah. eyes so Liam Neeson doesn't stare at them. That's right. Uh, no, no, Liam, look up at, the, uh, at his eyes. Well, you know, George, I think that's what I was just doing there. You know, I was looking right in the man's eyes, you know. Oh, Liam, not the man's eyes and Jar Jar's eyes. Well, you know, George, I believe this man is playing Jar Jar. If I wasn't, you know, I, uh, your name is Amit, right? You are here to play Jar Jar, correct? Uh, uh, you're not understanding, Liam. Look at the fake eyes up in the head. You know, George, you don't have to get all bit under shape out of here. We're all professionals here, you know. Oh, oh, where's that footage? That exists we- somewhere. So, um, <laughs> so, so the, the, the Jar Jar Jackson audition tape, as it's now known mm. worldwide, uh, has really just, you know, it, it's, it's toppled fandom upside over. You know, it's like everyone can't believe it. And uh, we were so happy we were here at Rebel Force Radio to bring it to you. And uh, our friend Jonathan Winchester on Twitter, at Texas Wingnut, Put up. Um, I I think this is a meme. Would this qualify as a meme, Jason? I, I think a, so. It's a picture of of. Well, uh, it's it's it looks like Michael Jackson's body. It has Jar Jar Binks's head, and Michael Jackson's hair. I never thought I would actually see this in my life. There's something almost <laughs> yeah. perverse about this, and so it fits in perfectly on this show. <laughs> And that's why our friend Jonathan is going to win the um, Galactic Snack Pack. There is um, a a little uh, quotation here. It says, uh, ah, boy, there's two ways I can go with this now. I can do it in a Jar Jar Binks voice, or I could do it as Michael Jackson as Jar Jar Binks. Mm. This is clearly a quote being ascribed to Jar Jar Jackson here, as he's now known. So I'm going to go with the, um, I'll go with the Michael Jackson. He says, Misa needs some little Debbie Galactic snack pack. <laughs> I think I pulled that off. I think I, you did. That was fantastic. Woo. That was fantastic. So there you go. Wow. <laughs> Misa needs some little Debbie Galactic snack pack. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you know what? That that picture is going on Facebook. I, I, I have to share that outside of the Twitterverse. 
It must be seen by all. Yeah. So uh, Jonathan Winchester says, Jar Jar Jackson knows people love to eat Little Debbie. He's going to start with the Gungan in the Mirror. So I get that. That's a, a play on Michael Jackson's song. Um, what song was the that? The Man in the Mirror. The Man in the Mirror, of course. Yeah. By, you know, by the time Jackson put out The Man in the Mirror, I had long since checked out of Michael Jackson. <laughs> but I, uh, I had the Michael Jackson doll, man. <laughs> no, I. <laughs> what? Okay. I, I please, did. please don't say it's a life-size blow-up situation. No, no, no. And no, you no, owned no, it as no. a child. No, I did. No, I. No, it, it. You know, it was the '80s. They made. Mm. They made dolls out of like yep. you know. They had a Mr. T doll. You know, I had a Mr. T doll. I had a Michael Jackson doll, and it was great because you you got Michael Jackson, and then you could buy all the different outfits. Right, you could buy like the Thriller outfit. You could buy the 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 Billy Jean outfit. You could buy. Uh, what was the other one? Um, well, all the yeah, you know, the, I, all the costumes he wore in the in the eighties for the the music videos. I'm not. I can't be alone here. Other people have had this. He had like sunglasses. All right, it was a Barbie. Okay, it was it was a my. I mean, that's really what it was. It was a Barbie type doll. But I wasn't the. I mean, it was really hard to find. People were like killing themselves to get a hold of these back in the in the eighties on Black Friday. All right. By that silence, I will assume <laughs> it's time to leave the topic and go to news. I have good news for you, my lord. That's good news. Come closer, I have good news. I've turned my microphone off. <laughs> You're flying solo, pal. <laughs> Bring out Bresnikin by yourself. <laughs> Michael Jackson. All right, we are joined by Entertainment Weekly senior writer Anthony Bresnikin. Of course, that name is very familiar to Star Wars fans this week, especially as he's dropped a lot of amazing Star Wars articles on us, all surrounding The Force Awakens, and they are all from uh, the forthcoming issue. Actually, as we record the show, uh, it's coming out today. Uh, Entertainment Weekly, the August 21st, 28th issue all about fall movie previews, but what you are interested in is all the exclusive Star Wars news. And uh, Anthony, welcome to Rebel Force Radio, and job well done, man. I'm glad you like it. I wasn't excited on. about this movie at all. Yeah, <laughs> until I read. <laughs> yeah, right. Maybe, uh, maybe you've been persuaded to go 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 to the box office and uh, try it out. You know, they all it, Disney just owes it to you, man. The way you have hyped this thing, I got to see it now. That's it, man. I hope they give me a percentage like they promised. <laughs> well, let's let's start off with um, with the cover. I don't know what role you had, uh, if any, in uh, helping to decide which character would be on the cover of the magazine. How did that uh, come about? Is, is that under your uh, auspice? Well, you know, there's a very long and tortured conversation that takes place before anything like this comes out, and you you, you know you propose what you'd like. And then the studio and the filmmakers say what they would want. And I think, uh, you know, where we met in the middle was we wanted a new character from the series. We love the cross guard lightsaber that you saw in the, you know, that first teaser trailer. And, uh, you know, it seemed like Kylo Ren was a character that JJ was willing to talk about. He's not ready to talk about Luke and Leia. 
and Han Solo. And so, you know, we're going to have to wait until a little closer to the release of the movie before we hear from or about those guys. And, um, you know, Kylo Ren was, uh, there was something he wanted the world to know about Kylo Ren. And, uh, you know, that was kind of fun to deliver. Yeah. Well, um, the, the, uh, the content is divided up into several stories. And just so uh, uh, we're clear, what we're reading on the website is also going to be included in the, uh, in the magazine on newsstands. And uh, is there additional content as well? I actually, man, you know, the, um, the web is a, is a bottomless pit, a Sarlacc pit, if you will, <laughs> of uh, uh, opportunity to, to, to put stories out there. In, uh, in print, you know, it's kind of that, uh, that spoof of the old New York Times saying, uh, all the news that fits, we print. Mm-hmm. So you're actually getting a lot more online. There's way more detail on J.J. Um, on Abrams and his uh, recruitment to Star Wars The Force Awakens and his vision for it. Uh, that has already been released online. I would say in the print version, because it's our fall movie preview and we're sharing space with so many other films, uh, you're getting it, getting sort of the condensed version of that. But it's also a nice object. It looks. I got my copy today. It looks really nice. It's a it's a nice collector's item. But the information is actually uh, you're getting more of it uh, through the website. Oh, that's that's fantastic. Well, I know that. Uh I'll be hitting refresh on uh, my uh, my newsstand app. I have the Entertainment Weekly app to make sure I can download it when it comes out. And, uh, of course, we're all going to want to add this to our collection. I remember the Entertainment Weekly issue. In fact, I'm looking at it right now that had, uh, like, it was the new faces of Star Wars. This was back before, right as the, the casting for Episode One was heating up. Was this, is it Ewan McGregor on the cover? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm like, who's this now, Ewan McGregor we, guy? I remember that. If we ran that cover today, how would fans react? Because it's just like a it's like a headshot of Ewan McGregor. It looks yeah. like he's about looks like he's about to release a folk album in Greenwich Village. <laughs> it's right. It does. It really does. But and you, you you've outdone yourself here with the with the Kylo Ren. You're you're right to point out the uh, the cross guard lightsaber because I think when we look back at the Force Awakens uh, and, and the whole you know publicity surrounding the, the the release of it, that moment when that lightsaber ignites is uh, certainly going to be uh, an iconic moment in the build up to this to this movie. So you know, Star Wars is about that iconic imagery: mm-hmm. the starship that cuts across the, uh, the 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 field of stars at the beginning, the crawl, the you know even the music. It's not an image, but it's iconic in its own way. The lightsabers. Darth Vader's mask. There's a lot that if you just see a piece of it, you can tell that is Star Wars. And it seems like that's something J.J. Abrams is trying to return to. You know, it's kind of interesting. There's been a lot of speculation about that saber with the cross guard. And a lot of people were wondering if that was some ancient Sith artifact that Kylo had come across. But as it's revealed in the articles, Kylo actually built it himself with some rather limited force knowledge. Yeah, somebody pointed out, well, all the lightsabers are homemade. And it's like, yeah, except this one is made by somebody who doesn't know how to make a lightsaber. You know, he doesn't have that training and refinement. And, uh, you know, when you look at the hilt, it's got like kind of coarse wiring that sticks out. And it's not, it's very roughly hewn. And so you can tell this is not a polished piece of equipment. Uh, 
this it, is somebody. No, I mean, if you, yeah, if you look at the prequels, yeah, I mean, those hilts, they look like they were manufactured out of, out of, uh, you know, some company made them. For right. Them. With Kylo's, there's no artistry behind it. It's just slapped together and somehow it functions. Hey, you, uh, can see, you can see in the blade, too, the way it kind of sparks and sputters that there's like a, an unstable quality. Yes. To it. And, and, and JJ kind of said, that the weapon is a – he didn't use the term it's a metaphor for, but he says he, that, that, that Kylo Ren is very much like his weapon, kind of volatile, mm-hmm. unstable, and also self-made, which I thought was kind of interesting. Oh, wow. he's, the, uh, he's not somebody who's uh, you know been built up presumably by the First Order or some military establishment. He is a self-styled villain who, of course, does not think of himself. As a villain. That's interesting how the, the saber itself looks so unstable that it might be a reflection of his character. It's almost like when they say um, people's dogs are sort of like, you know, they, they share the same personality as their owners. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe not. Um, hey, have you heard any of the, the controversy surrounding the, the saber itself and how some fans are in an uproar about its actual practicality? Yeah, you know, look. I don't want to offend anybody, but how does a lightsaber even work? Like, how does the blade, how does the laser know where to stop? You know what I mean? I think, like, come on, let's have a little bit of uh, a suspension of disbelief with that because people are saying, well, that the the blade would come down and it would cut through the hilt and it would separate those little cross guard beams. And is that what you're talking about? Yeah, well, there's been all sort of talk, even with this uh, cover um, story, this, this photo that's on the uh, the front cover of this week's Entertainment Weekly. Somebody pointed out within seconds, Kylo Ren took out his own armpit and just how he's holding the saber and everything. Oh, well, that's that's about the perspective of how he's holding that. It's not it's not under his armpit. Yeah, but a lot of people have been ever since it was initially revealed with that cross guard. Yeah. People have been questioning its practicality. And, that, and like you, true. Anthony, like you, Anthony, I, I sort of, you know, uh, take the uh, the notion that we need to suspend disbelief and just roll with it because it is Star Wars. After all, I mean, none of this is real. Yeah, yeah I mean. Well, let's talk about the mask too. Because uh, I- in my philosophy about that, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to quote the sergeant from Stripes and say, "Lighten up, Francis." Lighten up, Francis. <laughs> nice. So, so you know, in in contrast um, to Darth Vader, <clears throat> where we had to go through three movies before we saw him unmasked. I mean, here's a here's a villain where we know he's played by Adam Driver. We know that he uh, what he looks like under that mask. Um, so what do you, what sense do you get, um, Anthony, in terms of this guy's, you know, the mystery around this guy is, is well, diminished well, here because we know who he is underneath? Not at all. I don't think so. Uh, who is Kylo Ren? So he's a guy in a mask. Kylo Ren indeed, sword, yeah. You know, but I think yeah. who is he is a very good question. And that seems to be one of the things that's driving them. You know, Kathy Kennedy uh, I don't know if I need to give it context here. Whenever you write for a general audience, you've always got to remind people, like the Lucasfilm president, Kathy sure, Kennedy. Sure, sure. Our audience, no. You're, I'm sure they're going to know Kathy, but like right. uh, she, was, she was telling me, you know, when J.J. initially said no, her, the, the, you know, she had another conversation with him, told him some of their story ideas, some of the direction they're thinking, and says she, the thing that won him over was a sentence she said she couldn't explain any further, couldn't give me any context for it. But in the setup that she was presenting to him, it ended with, and who is 
Luke Skywalker. And that that question gave him chills. And he pretty much said on the spot, okay, I want to answer that question. I'm in. And I think the same type of question applies to the other films they're doing and, and the other characters they're exploring. So who is Kylo Ren is a question, a kind of existential question. And uh, in, in terms of, I wrote about the young Han Solo movie that's in the works today. And I think that's another, that's a similar question is who is young Han Solo? What kind of guy is he? So with Kylo Ren, I think it's, um, there's still a lot of mystery surrounding him. And I don't know if you guys want me to say, cause it's kind of a mild spoiler, but it's one JJ offered up, uh, about, Kylo Ren's name. Can we talk about that? Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. By all means. Anything in the magazine is fair game yeah. at this point. Well, some people were like, oh, well, that, thanks for the spoiler. And it's like, come on, J.J. Abrams is the, is the anti-spoiler. So if he feels it's okay for you to know, this is not going to diminish the movie. Right. But he said Kylo Ren is a name this character came to when he joined something called the Knights of Ren. Mm-hmm. Now, Again, there's no context to that. He didn't explain what the Knights of Ren is. He didn't explain what they stand for. He didn't explain who Kylo was before he took this name or under which circumstance he took this name, whether it was voluntary or whether he was forced into it. So I think there's a lot of mystery about that. And I think Star Wars is never about what's beneath the mask. It's always about what's sort of deeper within you. Because let's face it, once you took the mask off of... Uh, of Darth Vader, that didn't reveal anything different about him that we didn't already discover. You know, much more was revealed about Darth Vader and his character when he chose not to let the Emperor kill his son, kill Luke Skywalker. You know, that there was much more character revealed in that. And we never, we didn't have to see his face. So the fact that we'll see Adam Driver at some point in this movie. I don't think it diminishes the mystery. The mystery is about what's inside. Now, I've been right. wondering a lot about that because all of the, the photos we've seen up to this point feature Kylo with that mask on. And I think it's virtually impossible to go through the whole movie without him eventually becoming unmasked. Or do you think it's a case where he has the mask on sometimes and then when he's maybe being a little more casual, he doesn't have the mask on, sort of like think, uh, Rick Moranis in Spaceballs. <laughs> Maybe it slides up like a uh, dark helmet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, you know, I'm sure when he's kicking back watching galactic television, he's taking the mask off and uh, relaxing. But no, you know, we haven't seen Gwendolyn Christie with her mask off either. No, Captain right. Christmas. So I think it's much, I think, I, I mean, I don't know. Uh, your guess is as good as mine at this point about how much we'll see of his face. But, you know, uh you don't hire an actor like Adam Driver and then, you know, cover up his, uh, you know, his his acting instrument, his face. No, you hire Dave Prowse. You hire Dave Prowse. <laughs> you know, Dave Dave Prowse brought a tremendous physicality to Darth Vader, but I think you know he's not he's not such a highly trained actor that that he was presenting anything that other than like sort of physically, you know, in the movements of Darth Vader. So. Um, yeah, I think with Adam Driver, he's just a different kind of performer. So, yeah, you're going to want to see his face. And I'm sure he's got a lot of dialogue and things to say. Now, something we don't know is we don't know the connection between – we know they are connected, but we don't know the connection between Kylo Ren and the First Order. We've got um, one of our first legitimate photos here of Domino Gleason's General Hux, uh, who's a leader in the First Order. But we don't know what the relationship is between him and Kylo Ren. Do we at this point, Anthony? 
No, not at all. And I think that's also kind of interesting is that you have uh, Kylo Ren there who's kind of a, a, a lone wolf. And one of the things I asked J.J. was, you know, the first Star Wars was about this kid who comes from nothing. He has no means. He's working on a moisture farm for his aunt and uncle, kind of scraping by, dreaming big, but, you know, not much follow through there. And then he manages to rise up and take on the whole empire and upend the galaxy. And I said, when I look, everything I've seen that you've shown of Kylo Ren I can't help but see the same thing, but reversed. Is the nobody, the loser, the loner, who rises up, comes from nothing, has made his own lightsaber, no one showed him how, and still manages to cause massive upheaval in the galaxy, but this time, destruction instead of redemption. So, and J.J. was kind of like, you know, yeah, you're onto something. This This is always about the person who has to step up. Uh, you know, Star Wars is about the the person from nowhere who makes a difference, and sometimes that difference can be horrific. Sure, the hero's and, journey doesn't always mean the good guy's journey. But also, think about our consciousness now as a society. Uh, just say American culture. When Star Wars was released in the seventies and and early eighties, what were we afraid of? We were afraid of the Soviet Union and nuclear war. In fact, we had a defense program called Star Wars eventually. Um, and I think now, if you ask that same question, are we afraid of an army invading the United States? No, we're not afraid of that. We're afraid of the, the loner with an AR-15 who pops into the shopping mall and decides to kill as many people as possible with his collection of 30-round clips. Yeah. So I think... The it's guy just, with nothing to lose. Yeah. With nothing to lose, exactly. And I think that is much scarier to us now, is the person that you don't see coming. You see an army coming. You know, for me, uh, you know, even though we don't know quite what he's up to, Kylo Ren in the woods igniting that saber is a lot more creepy and terrifying to me than seeing the First Order amassed on that snowy, rocky world, wherever that is. You know, one of the things that you were able to do, Anthony, with this uh, story is confirm a lot of the rumors that we've been hearing over the past year. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of those is this, the lightsaber, the return of not just any lightsaber, but Luke's lightsaber from The Empire Strikes Back, which, of course, we know is Anakin's lightsaber. Um, mm-hmm. was, was, that, was that a uh, difficult thing to, to, to pull out, or are they very open about that at this point. They're not open about it. And in fact, I just asserted that that wasn't a piece of information JJ gave me. But you look at that trailer and you see that's the lightsaber. There's sure. no And at Star and, Wars Celebration, it was very clear what that was. And, yeah. And even back when uh, Comic-Con happened and they put out that, uh, that uh, behind-the-scenes video. Now, one of the things I noticed in the trailer, the second trailer, is that little alien hand hands the lightsaber to what's clearly like a female hand, yeah. a woman's hand. Mm. And we don't know who that woman is. The voiceover says, my sister has it, so if people were guessing that it was Leia. But you couldn't really tell whose hand it was. It, you couldn't tell the age. You couldn't tell anything. And I noticed in the behind-the-scenes video, there's a shot of Carrie Fisher you know, on the set, and she gives... JJ kind of a playful little pat or slap on the cheek and there's her hand and she has a ring the same ring that that hand that accepts the lightsaber is mm. wearing 
So I, you know, that's clearly Princess Leia. Clearly. So were you were you were you confirming this stuff with JJ or what we're reading in the article? This summary kind of um, where you that's talk about that. Summary. Yeah, and I verify that with sure. different sources. But JJ doesn't want to talk too much about the plot, so there's a lot more to it than what I have there. That's just sort of what I can uh, what I can glean at this point. Well, I like what you're talking about with you know comparing it to you know what what the world is sort of. Uh, fearful of these days versus, uh, you know, where we were in the 70s and 80s. And um, we see a lot of, of factions developing here. We've got the First Order, and then we also have uh, the Resistance. Now, this is not necessarily the same as the Rebels. We, there, there's, of course, you know, growing up in, a, in the age of the, of the expanded universe where we believe that, you know, the Death Star was destroyed and uh, the Emperor died and... Luke founded a new Jedi Order, and there was a new Republic, and everybody lived happily ever after. Where we know very quickly that that is not the case in this in this universe and in this film. What do you know about the Resistance and their their ties to the Rebellion, if any? Well, uh, you know that is something that I don't know a whole lot about because JJ has chosen to keep that under wraps, and probably a good reason for it. Um, so. I asked him about the state of the galaxy, what the political military landscape looked like. That's the stage that this story will play out on. And he said, you know, I'm not going to get into the specifics of it, but, you know, if there were peace in the galaxy, there wouldn't be much story. So <laughs> I think what we have, my theory is that you have, you obviously have these two sides. I don't know why the rebellion would be called the resistance if they were ruling anything. But I have a feeling that it's much more of an occupational thing, that uh, there's a, the First Order sounds a lot like the Third Reich to me, and a lot of that imagery of the rallies looks like the Nuremberg rallies that yeah. we see in like Triumph of the Will and you know, propaganda films from the 30s and from, from um, Hitler's Germany. Uh, you know, that's a pretty dark note to quote, but it's, uh, I, think, I think the world, our world has always been full of war, and it's always been full of people willing to use force to control people and uh, I, it seems like that's what's happened in the galaxy because clearly the First Order is not some rogue group that is, uh, you know, scraping together resistance on the fringe of the of the galaxy. They are well funded and well armed. I don't know. Maybe they're maybe they're you know like the Roman legions conquering people and then forcing their men their men folk into service, <laughs> or yeah. uh, or maybe they're women folk too. Who knows? Uh, but but maybe they're maybe they're taking a JJ's taking a, a cue from history there and uh, and showing us something about military might and how it perpetuates itself. Is once you're strong, once you have a foothold on a culture, a society, civilization, it's very hard to get to break that hold, and you can hang on to it for a long time. Now you do. Um, you know, again, going back to the rumor mill, and there have been a lot of rumors about what happens to Luke Skywalker and to the point of Kathleen Kennedy, who is Luke Skywalker, what's in the man's heart and soul. Um, you have a you have a great uh, line in here about war distorts any soul and getting older always comes with compromises. Each one takes a piece of you, parts that can't be replaced like a cybernetic hand. You're mm-hmm. kind of implying that that you're open to the possibility that Luke's not the the good guy that we where we last saw him as he was. 
Yeah, I mean, that I think is the question, right? Is who is Luke Skywalker? At the end of Return of the Jedi, he's standing in the shadows watching his friends party. He's victorious, but he's also been tested and pushed, forced to do things that um, he didn't think he would ever have to do. And it's not explicit in those movies. They're fun. They're science fiction. It's meant to be escapism, so it's not like it goes super dark. But we've all seen... In our own lives, unfortunately, war is not some long ago thing. Uh, but we've seen it, you know, in the present day. We've seen it in the past. You get a young man who wants to go out and grab his sword and bayonet and fight, and it sounds like a great adventure, you know. And then they do it, and they come back, and they don't want to talk about it. It's not, it's not something that that they think is uh, entertaining anymore. I, sure. I mean, those of us want to revisit. So yeah. I think you know JJ may be taking, uh, and this is guesswork on our part. But I think you know if you do have Luke Skywalker, a good guy, clearly somebody who came into this with good intentions, but who is a damaged soul, who knows what he's doing, and um, every villain thinks they're doing the right thing. You know, I think it's very easy to go wrong while trying to do right. And, you know, with, with the, in the case of Luke Skywalker, that question, who is Luke Skywalker, could apply in a very positive way. Who is Luke Skywalker? He's the guy who, rather than save his own life and accept the hand of Darth Vader, chose to fall off of that garrison and fall off of that plank and into what seemed like certain death. Sure. I, I mean, every, vi- every villain is the hero in his own story. Right. But yeah. I think Luke Skywalker has also shown the potential for tremendous self-sacrifice. So maybe that's the answer is who is Luke Skywalker. Maybe Luke Skywalker is the person who absorbs the pain, absorbs the hate, absorbs the anger so that others don't have to. So that's a possibility as well. I'm not saying I don't think I don't think the answer is as cut and dried as Luke has gone evil. Right. I don't think that at all. So it sounds like you're speculating he might have this burden and mm. that along with the war experience has scarred him. And uh, I, I think it's really interesting to, to look at the themes that aren't black and white, but they, they fall into that gray area. And back in the early days when Lucas was preparing the original trilogy, he would talk about episode seven, eight, and nine, or at least where the trilogy might go if it was ever created. And he always said things along the lines of, you might have characters who don't necessarily fall into that good or bad category. They fall into that gray area. And so it appears that theme is being present in The Force Awakens, even though it's become rather clear to us, and it's it's rather clear in your article, that um, the story is written by J.J. and Lawrence Kasdan, based on some framework created by Michael Arndt, which I assume also includes Lucas's material. But I'm still unclear as to how much of that material from George Lucas himself, how much of that content is actually going to survive in the film we're going to see in December. I don't think, I don't think much. I don't think much at all. One, I don't think he had a very clear... Uh, story outline, I think he had some ideas that they were free to use as they took over Lucasfilm and took over piloting this franchise. But the story, the general story pieces were broken by Michael Arndt and Simon Kinberg 
and uh, Kathy Kennedy uh, bef- and Lawrence Kasdan before J.J. ever got involved, and J.J. got involved, and he kind of chose the different paths that they could take. And I don't think George's stories uh, have were used very much at all. At least when I, I moderated the uh, Star Wars Celebration panel for The Force Awakens back in April, and, and that's what I picked up from them during that, is that uh, you know George really has retired, and he offered up some ideas, and they said thanks. And then they brought in a bunch of writers and JJ, and they came up with their own plans. I think it's sort of like, you know, uh, Jason, you mentioned having little kids, and I do too. You know how when you play with kids, you're not the little boy anymore. You're not the you're not the one who decides how it goes. You, if right. you're lucky enough to get your hands on a on a Matchbox car or an action figure, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, they don't want you making up the story. You know, they want to play, and you kind of come along for the ride. And that's kind of, I think, what happens when you hand your toys off to a new generation. Yeah, that's a great analogy. I think that that's probably very true. And and I, I don't know. I, I always get a sense that there's uh, a slight bit of uh, discomfort uh, when George's name is brought up um, with sort of the the new regime, you know, with with Star Wars. And I, and I guess that's natural. It would be probably very difficult um, for both sides because on the one hand, you want to honor uh, the maker. As we all know him as, but on the, you know, on the other hand, it's uh, it's not his anymore. It's not, and you know, there are people who don't like the prequels. There are some people who really love the prequels. So it's kind of like you don't want to um, insult anyone or diminish anything. But this this is a new series of stories. Right. It'll be different from the original trilogy. It'll be different from the prequels, just as the prequels were different from the original trilogy. But it's Star Wars. It's a variation. It's um, it's a new it's a new person singing the song, I guess. And you actually put the question to JJ about the possibility of him coming back because the only movie um, so far. Well, we 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 lost one director, but mm-hmm. we have not heard about Episode Nine in terms of director. And it sounds like you point blank asked him if he was going to do it. I did, and he said no. Yeah. <laughs> and I yeah. Thought, I thought he would leave it open, but I've also heard that Ryan Johnson is, uh, you know, that it's possible he may write and direct the last one, episode nine. Yeah. And that's certainly on the table. There are rumors out there it could be somebody else, and uh, I tried to ask about that too, but they weren't ready to discuss that. We might find out soon. I don't know. But uh, that's also a movie that's not coming till. 2019 so uh you know we i think there there's time for them to make a decision on that do you, what do you uh just of course speculating this isn't about episode mm-hmm. eight but what do you what's your sense about ryan johnson and how he's going to uh carry the blade so to speak well it's a he hasn't made a movie like this before he's done some great work i'm a huge fan of ryan's movies the brothers bloom is kind of an underrated gem uh, I love Brick. If you guys have seen that, that's like a high school noir. Actually, that movie uh, is in my top ten. I love Brick. Oh. You know, I, I wrote a novel. It's like a it's like a dark coming of age high school story. And one of my influences was Brick. And uh, this movie with Joseph Gordon Levitt, where he's this young kid who, who who's trying to figure out a murder. And uh, you know, you think of like a Veronica Mars type tone. Uh, when when you say that, but this had a much grittier, darker. I wouldn't say realistic because it's kind of like no high school would actually operate this way. But it's a warped perspective, and, and it's funny, but it's also very sinister. And I love his style, and I think for something like 
let's say they, they're trying to echo the tones of the original trilogy. If Star Wars from 1977, A New Hope, was just a space adventure, a Western crossed with science fiction, crossed with like a World War II bombing movie, Empire Strikes Back was this kind of warped, darker version of that story. And I think Ryan Johnson is the guy to pull that off if episode eight is going to deliver the same sort of like um, minor key version of the story that Empire did. Mm. So, you know, uh, I I love Breaking Bad. In fact, I was going to compare Brick to Breaking Bad. And then I realized, oh, Ryan Johnson directed some of the best episodes of Breaking Bad. That's right. So I think he's going to bring that sensibility to this. He made Looper Looper as well, which I think is a tremendous science fiction story, time travel story, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Bruce Willis. And I think he, um, you know, he has a real knack for taking a genre and giving it a new flavor, you Mm. know? He's the kind of chef who takes, you know, something you've eaten a thousand times and cooks it in a brand new way you've never tasted before. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing his version of it. But, you know, we could talk all day about that because we don't even know it's going to be in episode seven. So For sure. Yeah. Right. Let's not you know, put the cart ahead of the horse here. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Anything is possible there. Well, speaking sure. of the uh, creatives of Star Wars, you say... Uh, Johnson may be, you know, cooking us a, a new tasting dish, but someone who's cooking we've experienced a lot in the past is Lawrence Kasdan. And you shine the light on him a lot in your article. And uh, you reveal something about Kasdan that I never knew. I did not realize that George Lucas had approached Kasdan to work on the prequels. That was news to me, too. When yeah. he said that, he kind of dropped it in casually, like, yeah, George said, you know, maybe you could come work on these. And I wasn't interested. And, uh, you know, uh, I was talking about this today with some of my my colleagues. It was in regard to Harrison Ford returning as Han Solo. As you guys know, Harrison has uh, he's thrown a lot of shade at Han Solo. Right, <laughs> right, yeah. And the question was, like, why did he come back? And I wrote a big piece today about his first day on set and about, uh, you know, his, his sort of uh, becoming one with Solo again. And I do think... Anybody can relate to this, the idea that you're willing to return to certain parts of your past at different points in your life, is that there's a time when you get a little older, you know, when you're in college, you don't want to go hang out at the old high school haunts and hang with your high school friends and talk about old high school things. You kind of want to move on to the next thing. And I think other times it's like enough years go by and you say, yeah, you know what, I kind of want to see those people again. I'll go to the reunion. You know, (laughs) and uh, I think that's how it was with Harrison Ford is that he grumbled about Han Solo the way you grumble about being in 10th grade, you know, and then but if somebody gave you the chance to go back, wouldn't you take it? Of course you would. Of course you would. And you would do things differently and you would enjoy it a little bit more. And that's the one thing I've heard again and again from those actors who are veterans of Star Wars who've been through this before is now they can kind of enjoy it because you're not – Mark Hamill isn't some kid who's trying to build a career anymore. He's had, he has a career. He had a long career, and he will continue to have one. But he's kind of secure in who he is. Now he can just sit back and not be lazy, but like enjoy the work for what it is. you know. And I think that's true of Harrison Ford as well. Now is a chance where – you know, he can kind of relax and, and sink into the character. And, and he's had a number of experiences in recent years, I think, that have, has changed his perspective. You know, for one, he's a dad again. You know, he and Callista Flockhart have a little boy. Mm-hmm. 
And I don't know how old he is now, but I think he might be around 10, 10 to 12. And of course, Callista is from the Star Wars generation. Yeah, well. She grew up with Han Solo, and now she's growing old with Han Solo. Exactly, but imagine that you've got uh, a little kid, and you get you get to say, "Hey, you know what? I'm Han Solo again." <laughs> that, there's got to be an appeal there. I don't know that that motivated him, but I do know a few years ago, I think he did a he 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 agreed to be uh, on a on a do a Q and A, do an appearance at a screening of Empire Strikes Back for a children's hospital. Right. And from what I heard from people who were at that event with him. He was really moved that here are all of these families and all of these you know kids who are dealing with things that no kid should have to put up with, and they're laughing and they're excited to see him in person, and he's made something that's uh, that's freed them from whatever struggles or, or agony they might have in real life, something that makes them happy, something that makes them laugh. That's a rare gift to give someone, and I think that really got to him. I've I've heard that you know I don't know how long that stayed with him, but um, when I saw him at Comic Con, he was having fun, you know, and that's something that you can't fake. Or if you try to fake it, it's really obvious. But you guys, I don't know if you saw the the panel they did at Comic Con where Mark Hamill was talking about Luke and how Luke had this really kind of trauma of finding out this woman he sort of loved was his sister and that there maybe wasn't a person for him, that there wasn't love in his future, that he might be alone like Ben. And he he was like, you know, and then he finds out this is his sister and, and Harrison Ford interrupts him and goes, how many times do I have to say? I'm sorry. (laughs) 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 Like that was really funny. And then later they did this uh, symphony orchestra concert outside and they played the music of John Williams and all the actors came out again and they gave out toy lightsabers to everyone who was there. So there were thousands, 6,000 red, green and blue lightsabers waving around. And as they introduced the cast, they all came out on stage and waved before the music started. And Harrison walks out. You know, everybody knows he was injured in a plane crash in in March. He's got a limp. And he walked out using one of the lightsabers like a cane, like an old, like he was exaggerating his limp, like making like he's, um, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge. Hey, he's he's an old man now. Yeah, Yeah. he was really playing it up and hamming it up. And like I saw that and thought, this is a guy who's having fun, you know. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was really taken aback by when you when you recount the story of Harrison Ford and uh, Peter Mayhew as Chewbacca being back on the set of the Millennium Falcon, that it, 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 everybody was stunned and hushed. They had uh, you, you quote the 200 people were there on the set just uh, stunned. And, and one of the guys that you would expect to be kind of, you know, hardened, been there, done that was Lawrence Kasdan. And he himself was uh, rather uh, taken by the whole moment. Yeah, well, you know, we sit here and talk about growing up with Star Wars and how much it means to us. And, you know, I've published all these stories. And what's funny is I'll see on Twitter somebody who says, uh, you know, quite a few people, oh, you know, this, I read this story and now, like, I teared up or I, I have something in my eye or I'm not crying, you're crying. Like, <laughs> and that surprised me. And I was trying to go for a little, a bit of emotion in these pieces. But it, in a way, it doesn't surprise me because we don't. We don't get emotional over these trailers and over, uh, you know, articles about a movie because of the movie. We really don't. We get emotional about Star Wars because it reminds us of a different time in our lives. When we were younger, it also reminds us of, the, of people we shared Star Wars with, brothers, sisters, cousins, 
parents, grandparents, sometimes people who aren't here anymore to enjoy the new version with us. And it's that memory that brings the tears. It's that experience that surges back when you see Chewie and Han Solo on the Millennium Falcon and, and Han says, Chewie, we're home. That's right. what's hitting you. It, it takes you back. And I think, you know, we keep bringing up uh, Lawrence Kasdan, and um, I think he sort of is back in the fold because he feels that the same way too. There's a weird synergy going on here where he wrote Jedi some 30 years ago and now he's writing The Force Awakens. Oh, yeah. And he's mm-hmm. you know gone through the same amount of time in his life that the characters have gone through and so there's a perspective that he can share with the characters almost as he exactly. prepares the new films. And oh by and, the and way and I got off on Harrison Ford there talking about him returning to the character. But Kasdan, I believe we started with him in this subject. Like, Kasdan felt the same way. He didn't want to come back and do the prequels, you know, 15 years ago. He wasn't interested in revisiting that. But when he got the chance to do this, it was like, yeah, you know what? I wouldn't mind coming back to Star Wars. And it did, it did mean a lot to him. And in what you said about traversing the same amount of time that these characters do, 30 years have gone by. And he said something interesting to me. I don't know if it gives me hope or it fills me with despair as somebody who finds more gray hairs every day. But he said, you know, when you get older, you don't get, you don't get wiser or smarter. You just get older. Like you just have more <laughs> And you make the same mistakes. I'm, I'm paraphrasing him here. He said it more eloquently. But you just – you make the same you – make, you make different mistakes maybe than you used to make. But you're still struggling to get through. You're still trying to find an identity. And no matter how old you are, whether you're – a 20-year-old farm boy or a 72-year-old space smuggler, you're still trying to find your place oh. in the galaxy. Well, you know what? There, there, there is that, yeah, there's that moment in everyone's career and everyone's life when that gap between yourself and those kind of ahead of you starts to narrow when you realize they haven't figured it out either. <laughs> well, no one ever does. Oh, my God. And that's the biggest spoiler of the entire article. That's the biggest one. Oh, hey, by the way, Anthony, I did pick up. You, you almost committed, but you didn't. You were going to do a, a Larry Kasdan impersonation. And I got to say, no one has done that on Rebel Force Radio yet. I'm sure it's something we're going to be enjoying for years to come. But uh, if, if you would like, I would, I would be honored yeah. if you would do the first Lawrence Kasdan impersonation on Rebel Force yeah. Radio. He has a very, and a vo- I couldn't, I'm not an impression. <laughs> oh, come on. You can do it. But he has a, he has a voice that rises up. It's not a, so much a nasally voice. It's more like just, it's high up in his throat, you know? And it's very, instead of saying, um, and, ooh, and you know, the little vocalizations we have to pause so our brain can catch up to our mouth. Um, you know, he, he just drags out his uh, vowels a little more. So, um, <laughs> I like his voice. I find it very soothing. All right. Well, I think that qualifies. But, you know, my favorite is I'm, I'm working on my Harrison Ford, which is really just where you just, you just say things with uh, any kind of passion. <laughs> uh, just, very just, dispassionate. Yeah. You, can, um, you, can, you can type this, shit, George, but you sure can't say it. <laughs> There's his famous line for sure. Yeah, you, speaking of, of, of Harrison, you know, when we heard about. Uh, you know, all of us were on eggshells as fans waiting for the confirmation that Harrison Ford was going to re-up as Solo. And uh, it sounds like a lot of our fears were uh, not very well placed. This this deal had been in place before the Disney acquisition, actually. Yeah, um, were, So, it, it, you know, split. long before, yeah, the rumor sites were, quote unquote, confirming his 
uh, involvement. He was involved. But then the accident happened. And there were those of us that were like, oh, we finally got him back. He's finally into being Han Solo again. This accident happens. He's going to come back. He's going to be more grizzled, more ticked off. He's going to just want to get through it. That wasn't the case at all, was it? Well, that's what they said. And I have to admit, I, I, I listened to that explanation with a bit of skepticism because it, it, uh, I can't imagine somebody being pleased about that happening. Even uh, somebody like Robert Downey Jr., who's got a pretty good spirit about these things, when he broke his ankle on Iron Man 3, he was pissed. You know, he was <laughs> unhappy that that went down. And, um, but he wasn't regretting his decision to be in the movie. I think some of us, at least I was afraid, like, no. oh, my gosh, he's going to say, you know, oh, I never should have done this. I don't want to be uh, in Star Wars. It. Star Wars is crazy. Yeah, exactly. I never should have come back to do this. Like, he, yeah. he, uh, yeah. he didn't try that. Uh, but but what, I, what I thought was interesting is they said, no, he came back and he had a really good spirit. And, you know, I buy that because I heard it from enough people. And, you know, the, what I know about Harrison, having interviewed him a few times and spent some time with him, is he is an outdoorsy guy. You know, he's an adventurer. He likes to fly his planes. He likes to fly helicopters. He likes the outdoors. He's a rugged guy. And guys like that, you can drop a door on them by accident and break their leg. And it's like, okay, because he is a physical person. And he, and also, he's in amazing shape. One reason a 72-year-old can recover from a broken leg and an airplane crash in the same year and, and still walk out on stage and wave and smile is because that dude, if you are physically fit, you recover faster than people who are not. And he has kept himself in tip-top shape. So he can take a, he can take a punch, I guess. And uh, I think if you drop a door on... I don't know. Woody Allen, <laughs> you're going to get a different reaction. <laughs> oh, Woody God. Allen is not coming back to the movie. Uh, Woody <laughs> Allen, will probably, he would probably have to be scraped off of the door, to be oh, honest. Oh, God. Like, Somebody get this know. door off of me. This is <laughs> yeah. crushing my leg. I, I'll never be able to do episode eight now. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, so I think, I think the fact that he's a tough dude helped uh, with his mood when he came back. All right, Anthony, before we, before we let you go, there was another piece that you did. It was all about the names of Star Wars The Force Awakens. So right. uh, we're going to play the Star Wars name game with you, okay? You ready all for right. this? Okay. All right, here we go. The name game. Attention. Slam of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Darth Vader. The Leia. Chewie. Ahsoka Tano. Yoda. The name game. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the name game. I thought that was it. Should I have been pushing a button or something? Yeah, you, you, you just won. Uh, <laughs> it does have it has a great game show vibe, doesn't it? Sure does, um, yeah. All right, well, let, let's talk about some of these some of these names. Um, and, uh, but let's see, what was the biggest surprise for you as far as, uh, origins of these names? Well, the one thing I really wanted to get out of them was why don't we know Finn and Ray's last name? Aha. Uh -huh. And you, you know, know what? And, and, and I'll just back you up because the leaks of the action figures that are hitting the shelves in just a few weeks don't even have mm -hmm. more information on them. So this must be a big secret. Uh, there will be several waves of action figures and toys. 
So you're going to get some stuff beforehand. You're going to get a lot of it after the movie opens. So um, he, you know, JJ didn't said he wouldn't, he didn't confirm like why, but he said, there's a very good reason you don't know their last names, that that information is being deliberately withheld. So there's no reason to do that unless it connects those characters to somebody else in that we already know from the Star Wars universe. Uh-huh. Like, like Solo, like Skywalker, like, like Kenobi. Kitster. Oh, like, oh, like, did, did, I think Kenobi Kitster. is one that people don't talk about. Right. But um I have a I have a theory about Kenobi. I think uh I think uh I think Kenobi is gonna be connected to one of these characters. Yeah, we've we've been speculating about that for a while. So yeah. whether or not Kenobi could have had any offspring, he, you know, had to do something to fill those 20 years out there in the desert. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, and if you consider, you know, people will say, well, he's a Jedi and Jedi don't uh, believe in attachments. He would have never hooked up with a, a woman and had a child. But you got to understand that he, he pretty much had to give up his former life. So with that, he gave up his former lifestyle. Hey, and, also, like, if we're talking about a monastic existence, uh, the monks, uh, no monk I've ever heard of, uh, every, every monastery, monastery from the Middle Ages has its stories of debauchery. So just because you make a vow doesn't mean you keep that vow. And you know what? To be honest, that's one you could break and still, you know, still manage to be a decent Jedi, I think. Yeah, well, Luke kissed his sister, so... <laughs> hey, nothing's kinkier than that. But uh, I'm with you on the Kenobi thing. And, uh, yeah, th- there has been an amount of silence sort of shrouding him um, because people jump on the, the last names you would you would think when it comes to this mystery about Finn and Rey, Calrissian, Solo, Skywalker. Um, no one said Mothma. Uh, no. but, so but, we're thinking. We're, so we're thinking. Maybe Finn is Calrissian's son because they both have dark skin. The the latest um, sort of rumor going on out there ties in with the Marvel comics. Yeah, and the re- son of Solo, right? The wife of Han Solo, right? And she appears to be mm-hmm. African American. Well, she wouldn't be either. I have to correct you there. She wouldn't be either one of those things because in Star Wars, there's no Africa and there's no America. So <laughs> fair enough. You know. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, right, well, what's the politically correct term? I think, I think it's just she, a, has, she, she has dark skin. She has dark just, skin. Yeah, she has nothing, dark skin. You know, there's no nationality associated with it. She's, uh, you know, everybody has a, a skin tone. I don't think there's anything un-PC about saying that. But, yeah, uh, I don't, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not policing your, your, your rhetoric on that. I'm just saying, <laughs> uh, you know, I think I heard a lot of Calrissian thrown around. And it's like, well, he's not the only black man in the galaxy. He's not the only dark-skinned human, humanoid in the, uh, in the galaxy that may be uh, Santa Solo. Or is it Sana? I don't know. Uh, if, if, if you are giving uh, Han Solo a wife in the Marvel comics and that is considered canon... I think uh, you're doing that for a reason, and maybe he has a kid. And maybe that kid became a stormtrooper, because what would be better storytelling than having Han Solo have an estranged son? Hey, you know what? The timeline doesn't, doesn't play out, though, because obviously we're talking about you know, 30, 40 years in the future, mm-hmm. so Finn would obviously be older. So maybe we could consider him to be a grandson. Of Han Solo, or what? Well, or another what? theory is speaking of Calrissian. Why do we assume that Leia ended up with Han? 
Uh, there's a lot of assumptions that happened. What if she ended up with Lando? So low, what do we have here? Lando definitely had eyes for her. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. So, uh, okay, so the, in, in that case, that's, um, it wasn't that the name surprised you. It was that the, the lack of additional yeah, the lack of names. But also, I was surprised to hear that Kylo Ren was not that guy's real name. That means that Kylo Ren could also be somebody who has a familiar moniker. You know, could be a child of someone. Kenobi, Calrissian, you name it. Right, because as you pointed out, Ren is, is, is almost like yeah. Uh, Darth. Yeah. Greedo. Maybe, maybe son of Greedo. Greedo, right. <laughs> right. Kylo uh, Solo has something of a ring to it. Some people were saying Kylo is a blend of Skywalker and Solo. I think that's a bit of a reach. Hmm. I see. Yeah, it, I yeah. think, well, but that's interesting. That's interesting. Uh, what can you tell us about uh, BB-8? How did BB-8 get his name? Because there's, there's speculation about it being um, Brian Burke. Yeah, that's what I thought. Because yeah. I, I was actually emailing with Brian's office and, you know, his assistant's email was BB assistant. You know, because these guys, you know, they get different assistants and uh, the, the assistants have to do a lot of business for them. So they, they, they just hand off the BB assistant email address. And I saw that and I was like, huh, BB is, I wonder if I knew Poe Dameron had been named after JJ's assistant, Morgan Dameron. Right. And I thought, I wonder if, if like there was an eighth assistant for Burke that, uh, <laughs> that they all really like. <laughs> Eight BB assistants? Eight. Man, he needs yeah. eight assistants. That's pretty impressive. Oh, I mean, like maybe maybe it's like the, not eight, not that he has eight, but that this was the eighth one who <laughs> had worked. Ah, ah. Uh, and uh, I asked, I actually asked the assistant. I was like, "Hey, was BB-8 named after you?" And she was like, "No." And uh, I asked JJ, I'm like, "So was he named after uh, Brian Burke?" And he was like, "No, but don't tell Brian that." <laughs> <laughs> He just said he liked it. You know, if you look at BB-8, he kind of looks like a bee. He's got the little, you know, circular top and the circular bottom. And BB-8 looks, you know, the bee looks like an eight. And there's kind of an infinity symbol going on there. And he uh, he just kind of liked it. So BB-8, he said it had a musical ring to it. And he's right. I, I thought for sure BB was basketball or beach ball. No, he says he just he, he, he liked it because BB-8 looks like a bee. And he looks like an eight. Yeah, I was surprised to learn that a lot of this, the uh, of the of Lawrence Kasdan and, and JJ's uh, writing was done on walks, and they were dictating uh, notes. And uh, you point out that they walk were walking through a cemetery near the big bad robot or the bad robot offices, and that perhaps maybe they were looking down at some gravestones and came up with some of these names. That's what he said, and he said Hux. General Hux is one that he thinks maybe came from there, but uh, I think they also, you know, they grab little, uh, little, you know, segments of names where you see a name. It's very hard. Uh, you know, when I did my personal writing, um, you know, I wrote a book, and you've you got to come up with names for background characters and all that, and you want something that sounds realistic, but you don't want to use, like, a friend's name, so you you find little pieces of things all over the place. And uh, the naming of characters is always fascinating. Uh, I asked about Captain Phasma, too, where that came from. And I thought that was probably, short of Finn and Ray, one of the more interesting answers he gave. Yeah, this is my favorite. Uh, you know, he said, well, Captain Phasma has this chrome armor that Michael Kaplan created for her. And uh, he, J.J. said, you know, it reminded me of that ball from Phantasm. Yeah. 
And the conversation, that part of the conversation might have ended there. But as he was saying that, you know, he said, oh, it was like a cool movie from the 70s. I said, yeah, it wasn't a little, so a little like a card catalog in my brain opened up and a, and, a, and a note flew out that had been stuck in there some years past. And I had this little piece of information just at my fingertips. And I said right away, like, well, wait, wasn't the tall man from Phantasm, the creepy kind of undertaker guy, wasn't he in some episodes of Alias? And JJ was like, yes, he was. Angus Grimm was like the psycho- psychologist who was studying uh, Sidney Bristow. And uh, he went on to tell me this great sort of weird little story about Angus Scrim, who has this stentorian voice and this sort of very, uh, I don't know, what, what continental-type accent. And he has this name, Angus Scrim, that sounds, I don't know what, like Swedish or Norwegian or something. And uh, probably neither of those things, I don't know. <laughs> but like, uh, he said, you know, Angus, where are you from? London or, you know, Norway or Sweden or what? And he goes, I'm from Kansas City. (laughs) It turns out, it turns out Angus Grimm just had an actor's accent. Yeah, yeah. Just like Jonathan Harris Mm -hmm. uh, of Lost in Space. Exactly. Exactly like Jonathan Harris. Yeah. He said, uh, someone asked him if he was British. He said, no, dear boy, just affected. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. You know, Phantasm does feature those little little creatures running around in the cloaks that remind me of Jawas. Yeah, they did. Yeah, it was the dead bodies that they would smush down and turn into little, like, running corpses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Star Wars and Phantasm. Who knew? (laughs) Who knew? Well, you know, I think J.J. likes old movies and crazy movies and genre stuff, so uh, he's one of us. One of us. One, one of us. us. One. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. That is awesome. Hey, you know, can we go through some of these photos we didn't really touch on? Um, sure. The, the one that really uh, jumps out to me is uh, we, we've we sort of heard rumblings about this, and maybe we've seen some, some uh, photos from merchandise that's leaked a little bit early. But um, it's uh, the, the photo of C-3PO clearly confirming that he has a red arm, which we did, you know, we saw in the uh, footage from San Diego Comic-Con as well. But the way you kind of put it in the uh, caption, you say 3PO now sports an unexplained red arm. And I was just wondering if you wrote that from your perspective as uh, a, a film goer today or have you been led to believe that we're not going to find out why he has that red arm? Oh, we'll find out why. It's just we don't know now. Okay. So mm-hmm. it's as unexplained arm as of now. We may have wanted to put it. <laughs> and then um, we get a great shot of Finn outside of the crash mm-hmm. TIE fighter. Um, my question to you is this. And I, I don't know if you, you know this, but was that TIE fighter actually built out on the plains of uh, Abu Dhabi, or is that uh, some sort of effect that was put in afterwards? Well, I don't want to say I don't know, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, don't know. Built. I think they probably built it. Uh, you know, they built models and they built mock-ups and digital versions of it. Uh, you know, may, uh, maybe they built a part of it. I don't know. Uh, that's a good question. Well, you know, you're you're – pretty closely connected to this production from a journalist's perspective. And um, number one, I'd like to just ask you just very bluntly why that is. Why 
Is it you are the go-to guy when it comes to breaking this news about The Force Awakens? Is it because of your relationship with someone within the production? Is it because of your status as an Entertainment Weekly writer solely? Was this something that you were assigned to? How did this fall into oh, your lap? I, I, I murdered many people. I knew it! <laughs> I knew it! There was something fishy about you, Bresnikan. <laughs> no, you know, I think... Uh, I know I fought very hard for it uh, years back. You know, we we carve up assignments at Entertainment Weekly, and and you you get basically you get a, a film to cover, and you cover it from its inception essentially to completion. You cover it the way the doctor covers a pregnancy. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, you know here's your first look. It's a sonogram. You know, and here's uh, you know we're gonna follow along. We're gonna visit the set. You do that whole process of covering the movie from beginning to end, which is different from the way we would cover movies even 15 years ago, which was, what's happening this week? Okay, let's interview one of the actors and talk about the work he or she did a year and a half ago on this project. You know, uh, Now it's much more like in the moment, and I really wanted to cover Star Wars because I grew up with it. You know, guys, when I was five years old, I was walking with my dad down the street, and uh, at five... Uh, your world is very small. You, you, it's your street. That is a. If you were to walk to the store by yourself, that would be an epic journey. Uh, and as you get older, the world gets a lot smaller, and you explore more of it. But I was walking down the street with my dad, and three doors down from our house, there was this sort of like you know the yard kind of rose up in a hill, and there was this little guy. You know, he was kneeling on his shoes. He'd taken his shoes off, kind of like Dorf. You remember Dorf on golf? Oh, yeah. Tim Conway. Tim Conway. Yeah. Tim Conway and he right. had a little cloak, a little brown blanket around, and he had a stick. And he said, mm, me Yoda, Jedi Master. And now at this age, I had seen Empire Strikes Back. So I, I, knew, I knew Star Wars, man. I, I was a five-year-old expert. And I looked at him, and I said, shut up. You are not. <laughs> and we walked on. And as we walked on to the Tree Jacks Market, my dad goes, you know, as I would do now with my own kid, like, that was rude. Why would you be rude like that? Nobody's going to like you if you treat people that way. And I felt bad that I had told this Yoda guy to shut up that he wasn't Yoda. <laughs> so the next day I went, knocked on his door. His mom comes, and I'm like, hi, I'm Anthony. I live down the street. I wanted to say hi to that kid I told to shut up. I wanted to tell him I was sorry. So I apologized to Joey Mitchell. Uh, and that's the first time I met Joey Mitchell. And he became my best friend all through those early years of life, running around through the woods and playing Star Wars. In fact, Joey's mom made him a, an awesome Chewbacca suit like furry head that screwed on and everything. And he would put that on and I would have like, you know, I would try to find whatever in my closet matched what uh, Han Solo would wear. And we would run around the yard playing star, star Wars. And, uh, we had a video game where it was like, you were flying through a star field and, and we and pretended that was a, uh, we were in the millennium Falcon in our basement. And then we would leave the basement and run around. And I remember like Joey, like at one point slowing down and he couldn't keep playing, you know, we're older, like seven or eight years old at this point. And he had to take the head off. And, like, it was just, like, water flowing out of this chewy <laughs> suit. He was, it was, like, 88 degrees in Pittsburgh. And he's wearing, like, a giant fur suit. But, like, 
I tell you that story because that's what Star Wars means to me. As I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, it's that connection you have to your friends and your family and a life that you've left behind and get to revisit again. It's a little bit like time travel, seeing Star Wars again. And um, I wrote about that experience, about Joey Mitchell. And then my grandmother died last November, and she happened to die uh, the week before Thanksgiving. And um, at that point, I'd already been writing a lot about Star Wars, the casting announcements and all that, and keeping up with all the pieces of the, of the, of the new series that are coming together. And yet, uh, I remember getting a call from my editor who said, hey, there's this report that's making the rounds, that there, a rumor that there may be a trailer coming on Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. Can you, can you find out something about it? And I had to say, I can't. You know what? I'm booking a flight back to Pittsburgh because my grandmother died. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be able to keep tabs on this. And it was kind of like my editor, my editor said this. It's like you're you've rehearsed for a play for a long time. You're the lead actor. I was the lead writer on Star Wars, and yet opening night is now hitting. The trailer is finally coming, and I'm not gonna be around for it. Uh, the trailer dropped at 10 a.m. on Friday. That was exactly the time that my grandmother's funeral uh, was happening. And so, you know, there was no, my priorities were pretty clear there. I, and I don't, I don't come from the happiest home and the, the, the closest family. We've had our troubles over the years and d- disputes. And, you know, grandma was somebody who kept us all together. And I remember leaving the uh, church after the funeral, after the burial at the graveyard, after the little service the Catholics have uh, where they, they feed you in the, in the bingo hall of the church and the mourners kind of gather and, and, and have their wake. And my brother and I kind of like, well, we peaced out. My brother Greg and I, uh, I'm older than him by about three and a half years, and, and, and we, we kind of left together. It was time to get out of there. Things were getting tense, you know. And uh, we were in this church parking lot that overlooked our whole town of uh, New Kensington and Terenum. And here our grandmother was gone, this person who'd been with us our whole lives. And we stood there in the snowy parking lot. And, my, and I said to my brother, like, do you think we'll ever be back here again? Like, we might come back individually, but do you think you and I will ever be here in the same place at the same time? He lives in Virginia now. He's a therapist for disabled kids. I live in Los Angeles. I've got, uh, you know, I, I'm sure he and I will see each other again, but it'll be you know, on vacations together at each other's part of the world. I don't think we'll be back there. And he said, no, I don't think so. And we just had this moment where everything we grew up with, our whole lives in that town, stood before us. And we said our goodbye. I had to get to the airport. He was driving back to Virginia. And we walked away. And then I heard him say, right before I got in my car, hey, did you watch it yet? And I turned around, and he was smiling. And this had been a rough week, guys, right? It was just not a happy time. Mm-hmm. But then I was smiling. And so we got we huddled back together, and he pulled out his phone, and we watched the Star Wars The Force Awakens trailer. And I thought of all the times I tried to explain the different Star Wars toys to my grandma and <laughs> tried to explain the movies to her. She didn't really get it. <laughs> you know, she could name every saint in the Catholic faith, but... <laughs> And I could name, you know, back then they were called uh, Walrus Man and uh, a Hammerhead, and you know, <laughs> sure. you know, she didn't really get that, you know, but she <laughs> she had her own collectibles, like you know, her prayer cards and all that she was into. And, uh, 
and, and but it was still kind of fun to just to think about that. And on the on the plane ride back, I wrote up this little story, and I thought I'll post this to Facebook or something. And my editor, I sent it to my editor and said, you know. I thought you might like this because he's a big Star Wars fan too. And he was like, you know, we should put this on the website. I'll bet you people would like it. And, and I'll be honest, I thought uh, it's probably too personal. People are going to read this and be like, who cares about this guy's grandmother, you know, and his brother, his family and their their feelings about Star Wars. Uh, but the point of the of the story uh, that did run on EW.com was that, you know, we go through life and we and pieces of it fall of our lives are always falling away. And, we cling to these memories and pop culture is one way. It's like a, it's like a language that we share, you know, those movies. And, you know, we, we don't always have each other. We don't always have the place we grew up, but we'll always have Tatooine. And, uh, published this and then Andy Serkis read it. And then somebody else read it on the, among the crew. And then one day JJ and Kathy call me. Now, I didn't know J.J., but I knew Kathy pretty well. I covered, I've covered movies for a lot of years, and I covered a lot of her films. It's the first I've spoken to her since she took over Lucasfilm, and she and J.J. said, hey, you know, we're sorry we read about your Grandma B, and that was a really nice piece, and thank you for writing it, and we all passed it around here, and this is what we're working for because these movies mean something to us too. They're more than just like, you know, a chance to earn some box office or sell some toys like these films, the people who are making them now have the same connection that you guys and I have to these movies. Uh, as you can tell by what Lawrence Kasdan had to say and JJ and Kathy and, uh, and JJ said, you know, we have that trailer out, but, um, we haven't said any of the names and we don't want people calling it ball droid anymore. (laughs) And we don't want it, you know, People were calling uh, Ray Kira. That was a rumor going around that I don't know if that was like the fake name that was in the script or if that was just something that people heard and made up. But he goes, you know, we didn't, we don't want, we don't want like these names to stick. So like we're coming out with the real names and we've done it in kind of a cool way. Can I email you something? And he emailed me those Tops trading cards that were released last December. And he said, these are yours. You, you can have them as an exclusive, put them up on your website. So I did, and that was really generous of him. It was really kind. And so that's a very long story for how I got involved in covering Star Wars. Is I think, um, I think what he responded to was he, he had uh, – uh, so, so he told me was that he'd read the other coverage I'd done, you know, writing about the casting announcements and all that. And I try very hard to stay away from unsubstantiated rumors. You know, I try to stay away from spoilers for one, but also there's a lot out there, as you guys know, being reported on Star Wars that's not true. You know, so I've, I I I don't report that. It's important to me that when I write something and uh, tell you something is happening, that it's not guesswork. Exactly. You know, when I report, yeah, and even years before I broke the story that the spinoffs would be a young Han Solo movie and a Boba Fett movie. And then I waited patiently for two and a half years for that to be confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> We're still waiting for the Boba Fett news. Oh, yeah, you can you can count on that. Let me just say that. But uh, but the um, you know when they came out with Rogue One, I remember thinking, oh man, was I wrong? But I had it on very good authority. So um, you know, like I said, I knew Kathy. Kathy knew my work. I'd written about a lot of Steven Spielberg's movies, and she knew my approach and it's the same one i have on star wars which is these movies mean something they're they're not just things to snark at although you can have a sense of humor about it and i try to do that too uh they're not things that are merely uh mercenary so you can cover the business perspective which i try to do but 
you, you, you know, it's not just about that. And I, I try to write with heart. I try to write with a little bit of empathy and humanity and still have a, a fun time with it. And, uh, I think, you know, my, I can't, again, I can't explain why they've uh, trusted me with all this stuff, but I think they feel that I get it, that I speak their language and that I'm fair. You know, there are definitely things they don't want me to run and write about, but I've got to write about those things too. And um, being fair as a reporter is the best way to get a door open. And uh, I remember when they asked me to moderate the the Force Awakens panel at Celebration, it was a really scary thing for them and for me. Uh, I didn't want to blow it, but I care about these films and I'm as entertained by them as the fans. I don't throw a lot of side eye at them because uh, I think they're fun and I, and I love watching my kids enjoy them. And I like having lightsaber battles with my six year old daughter who's getting really good at it. So <laughs> there you um, go. I think, I think all of those things, uh, again, I hate to give you such a long winded answer. And if you want to cut, cut this, you, you can, but, <laughs> don't uh, worry about it. You know, you know the uh, short, by the way, you're uh, your version is, uh, is that I, you know, I'm a star Wars fan, but I'm also impartial and I, I try to be fair and I think they respect that. And, uh, you know, other people will be writing about star Wars too. I, I'm, I'm glad they let me ride along in the train for a while. So if uh, fans are interested in reading that essay you wrote uh, upon the death of your grandmother and the bonding moment you had with your brother, it's called We'll Always Have Tatooine on Star Wars Grief and Family by Anthony Bresnik. And you can find it at EW.com. Uh, while Anthony was telling his story right there, I read the, uh, I read the article four times. Uh, no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I was, I, I did. I've not, I have not read it. I was, I was listening to you, sir, but, um, it, it looks like a really compelling piece and, and you've definitely piqued my curiosity about reading it because, uh, like, like many fans, I do share star Wars with my brother. Uh, we grew up together loving star Wars and that's something that we totally connect on. And those moments do happen between brothers when it comes to star Wars, where all of a sudden you are transported back to your bedroom with the bunk beds and your kids again. And it seems like you and your brother share that similar passion for Star Wars. You can't go home again. I think somebody uh, famous once said that, Thomas Wolfe. But uh, sometimes you can, if you wait long enough, you come around full circle and you do get to make a return trip. And, As we saw with Chewie and Han. <laughs> and so uh, Joey Mitchell, uh, your, your mm-hmm. buddy, um, uh, are you still in touch with him? Is he still a Star Wars fan? Oh, yeah. In fact, I wrote that essay about him, and I, I hadn't heard from him for a number of years. And I think he it made its way to him one way or another, and uh, he got back in touch. And, yeah, we, we chat over email now and then. He lives in another part of the country, too. And it's funny, Matt. Uh, it, Star Wars can allow you to really transcend light years if you if you want. So true, so true. And uh, you know, I, I don't mean, think he wears. I don't, I don't think he wears the Chewbacca suit, but anymore. Oh. But I, but I wouldn't want to speak for him. Maybe he has a bigger one. Now. Oh, I, I wonder where that is. <laughs> I wonder if it still exists. The Chewbacca suit. Um, but the the thing that really opened the floodgates here was um, I asked you how you got involved, and and the thing yeah. that really made me ask you that is is you were a little bit coy about this this TIE fighter out on the, the desert in Abu Dhabi. And uh, which leads me to, to my next question. Were you able to make any set visits either on location or back in London? No, no set. I was not, I did not go to the set. No. And I wasn't being coy about the, uh, about the, uh, 
TIE fighter. I actually just didn't know. But, <laughs> but when you're a reporter, when you're a reporter, it sucks to say, I don't know. Yes. I know, right. I should know that. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know if they built that set. I, and I was not on the set. And to my knowledge, nobody was. No reporters. Spe- I'll tell you, uh, this is a slightly out of school story, but I was supposed to do an interview with Kathy Kennedy on a Friday morning. And we were going to talk about uh, Ryan Johnson being hired for the, uh, the second film. And, and she was going to lay out some of her other plans for the galaxy. I think she was going to talk to me about some of the spinoffs. And it was sort of like we had had a couple conversations ahead of time that she she's ready to reveal some things about the plans for Star Wars, and she was going to do it with me. And I was waiting for the phone to ring. Literally, like you know, a few minutes go by, but okay, you know, sometimes people are late getting to their phone or what have you get delayed. And then the phone didn't ring. And then the phone rang, and it was somebody from Disney who said Kathy's not going to be able to get on the phone. Uh, there's been an accident on set, and Harrison Ford's been hurt. Whoops. And I was like, oh, that close to getting a really great story. And then this terrible thing happens to poor Harrison. And, um, you know, it's, uh, I think after that accident, well, she didn't, we never reconnected. There was no phone call. Like she had to suddenly postpone her production and change everything around and, and, uh, and work his recuperation into the, into the plans for this movie. And I think after that, they were, not in crisis mode, but there was no time for visitors, you know, that they had a real job to do. So I don't know that anybody actually visited the set except Simon Pegg. <laughs> of course, Simon Pegg's everywhere. Um, you must not have been hard enough on the prequels because that apparently is the ticket. Right. Oh, really? That's how you get onto you the gotta set? Beat up the, yeah, you got to beat up the prequels every chance you get, like Simon Pegg does. Go out of your way to beat up on the prequels, and then you get a, you get a part in the movie. So you don't you are it sounds like you're a fan of the prequels, right? Well, I, I I'm no apologist, but I, I'm more of a I'll tell you what, I'm more of a fan of the prequels than I am of Simon Pegg. Uh oh. Those are funny <laughs> words. But I won't fight you. Um yeah, you know. I, people who get too angry about the prequels, there's a there's a lot of cool stuff in those, you know. There's no yeah. point. Yeah, it's 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 hard. It I think it's hard for me um to not look back fondly at that at that time in 98, 99, I, I mean, uh, were they, you know, were they the stories that I imagined for the 13 years between the movies? Um, no, but it was still new star Wars. It was star Wars being told by George Lucas. And as you say, you know, there was a lot of really good things to celebrate and love about them, but, um, no, it's, it's, it's sort of a gag on the show here. We, we always are talking about Simon Pegg and how, um, he never lets a moment to, bash on the prequels. Yeah, don't you uh, notice that? Don't you notice that, that that Peg goes out of his way to bash the prequels? I'd never heard of Simon Pegg before uh, before uh, JJ mentioned him, so I wouldn't uh, No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, he was no, probably I, your best man at your wedding or something, the way you're... No, 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 no. <laughs> no uh, you know, everybody... Yeah. Uh, as I said, Star Wars brings people together. It also can tear them apart like... <laughs> Like no political issue, like no political hot button. So right, know, right. We'll keep it friendly. Uh, uh, Anthony, uh, finally, we do want to just mention the uh, you, you you talked about the the standalone films and and you not getting your big chance to talk to Kathy about about those. What do you what do you make of those so far? You had a piece about the uh, the forthcoming Han Solo standalone movie. Um, what do you what sense are you getting in terms of tone and feel? 
that these are going to have, you know, in comparison to the what we would call the episodic films. Well, you know what, Marvel, and this is my assessment. You're asking for my opinion on it. I'm not. Gonna, yes, yes. You know, I have certain reporting on it that I can share, but you know, I think you know the question is what defines an, a trilogy film or a saga film, and what defines a standalone or anthology film, and I think the I think the answer is that the saga films have that similar ad, like playful adventure tone and the standalone films will tell sort of individual sto- stories, the anthology films, individual stories that might have a slightly different version. So you might get a comedy in the star Wars universe. You might get someday. And again, this is me speculating. It's not based on anything I heard, but maybe someday down the road, you get a love story told in the star Wars universe. And again, the saga films have all of those factors in them. But um, from what I've been able to hear about Rogue One, that sounds like a war movie, like a band of brothers tale, but it's told in the Star Wars universe. And just like Marvel will borrow, uh, say, like a 1970s paranoid thriller motif for Captain America the Winter Soldier or a heist theme for Ant-Man, I think Star Wars is going to go for different little themes or different tones with these standalone films. So whatever the, whatever the Han Solo movie ends up becoming, it sounds like that's going to be a bit of a comedy based on the people who are making it. So, uh, and what Kathy Kennedy said to me is it's meant to be funny and entertaining. So it's not going to be the dark, sad story of Han Solo. It's going to be <laughs> a bit lighter, you know, but right. we might also get the dark, sad Star Wars story with Rogue One, perhaps, you know? Right. Right. Well, I tell you what, man, this has been uh, a thrill for us to well, hear me, it from, from you. Up, yeah, guys, yeah. Guys, guys, there's a lot of talk because I wrote about Han Solo today. I, I, I was surprised by the volume of people who think Han Solo will die in this movie. Yeah. Do you think that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You think he's dead? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why? Because, well, you know, because, it's, it's because, because Harrison Ford grumbled about it. Right, right. <laughs> well, no, you're, you're, that's it, though. It's it's that his, historical perspective on Han Solo going back to when not only Harrison Ford thought it was a good idea to kill, kill off the character, but I believe Lawrence Kasdan was leaning in that direction as well. Hmm? It was George who vetoed. And so now we're dealing with a new project 30 years later with Kasdan and Ford in No Lucas. So you kind of, you know, add it all up and and you just think that maybe these guys are going to be fulfilling a wish with The Force Awakens. Now, I have not fully committed to him to him dying in seven, but I think if he does survive seven, um, his fate may be known in eight or nine. Now, can I tell you why I think you're wrong? Sure, I, I would do, love it. I would, I would love to be. And there's, wrong. there's so much fan anxiety over this too. So, <laughs> you're, that's the word for it. Yes. Yeah, so, anxiety. So, so put us to, to ease, Mister Bresnik. Okay, I can't put you at ease with any like facts or knowledge. Like they have not said anything about his fate to me, and I, nor would I want to know. And so I'm not presenting anything that's a spoiler or anything that you should come back at me and say, "Well, that turned out to be BS." Like. It's just a. It's just. I'm, I'm, I'll present some logic. Okay. I guess, well, all right. Lay it on us. Uh, let's say uh, 
you've paid $4 billion for a film franchise. And one of the key components is this space smuggler. And you're relaunching a series of movies. And the first one of six that are in the works and more certainly to come after that, you're going to kill the guy that everybody loves at the end. What kind of a bummer ending would that be for Star Wars The Force Awakens to kill the guy everybody likes and everybody misses from the prequels? So I do think it's possible that eventually – I do think like Harrison Ford's probably not going to go far beyond episode nine. But I don't know that you ever kill Han Solo. Maybe episode nine after you've established goodwill with – you know, I guess at that point it will have been uh, four movies, right? Force Awakens, Episode Eight, Rogue One, and uh, and the Young Han Solo movie. But I don't think you, I don't think you kill him off because there's the rage that would be directed at you from the fans. I don't know there's a way you can kill him off that would satisfy people because they don't want him to die. So I definitely think people th- seem to think, and my editor is one of them, that. The Force Awakens will reintroduce the original actors and then hand the series off to the younger characters and then their their stories will carry eight and nine. I think that's wrong. Again, just a theory. I think eight and nine will be a mix of the new and the veterans, new and the old, Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford, John Boyega, Daisy Ridley, um, you know, maybe uh, maybe Poe Dameron and Oscar Isaac, maybe not. Who knows? But I think it will be a mix of those. It'll be a generational trilogy, and then Disney has you know no desire to let Star Wars lie fallow. Then I think you might get another trilogy that is Daisy and John Boyega and Oscar Isaac and whoever else you know survives the, this right. trilogy. That's then, then you'll get them carrying the torch on their own yeah. after you've established, after you've given people, you know, five, you thought you wouldn't get any more Han Solo and now you get five, I five movies. It. I love so it. So I think, I think you'll get more of him, but I was curious whether, what your opinion was. Well, yeah, you know I, what? I, I think, I think, well, I don't know, Jim, I don't want to speak for you because I, I think you laid out the logic very well with the wishes of Ford and Kazan going back 30 years. But for me, it was, I, I thought that that would have been the chip that would have gotten uh, Harrison back in the game would have been, uh, man, if you do this, we're going to pay you gobs of money, and it's a one-film commitment. You yeah. don't have to do a whole trilogy. And well, you get the hero's the death. He likes he likes to work, man. Harrison yeah. Ford does a lot of movies, and, you yeah. know, not all of them are, like, you know, artistic gems. So if he, as long as he's getting a percentage on Star Wars, I think he's happy to keep putting on the vest and getting into the cockpit of Millennium Falcon. Anthony, what do you think the possibilities are that Han Solo dies in every episode, a la Kenny from South Park? (laughs) (laughs) They're going to do... Oh, my God! You killed Han! They're going to do the special, special edition of Return of the Jedi to kill him (laughs) retroactively. He's going to be Ghost Han and everyone going forward. And eventually, you're going to get to like episode 15, and it's all it's all ghosts. <laughs> all right, you heard it here first. Glowy things. I, I have that. Uh, that's a fact. I'm reporting that on authority. You, yeah, let's put, take that one to the bank. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody call ain't it cool? Oh, well, we don't have to do that. We have EW, so let's that's let's right. let's print yeah, it. EW is better. At least when you read it in EW, you know it's true. That's right. That's right. <laughs> oh, that's right. 
<laughs> well, man, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out. I, obviously, this is a busy time for you as a dad of, uh, of, of youngins. I, I know that. And also with uh, your beat of this movie and things are just ramping up. But uh, uh, it's the right word, man, because I'm beat. <laughs> <laughs> well, we loved having you on and we'd love to have you on again as uh, th- this this really heats up. So um, sure. thank you so much for taking the time out. Thanks for having me on. Hey, Anthony, oh. how do people get a hold of you? You can find me on Twitter. Um, I'm, I'm there at Bresnikan. That's uh, B-R-E-Z-N-I-C-A-N. And you can also find me uh, on my website. I mean, you can find me on EW.com, but uh, my, if, if you want to say hi or get in touch, uh, my personal website is just my name, Anthony Bresnikan. Easiest name to spell you ever heard. And, uh, <laughs> and could you tell us about anything Star Wars related you have coming up for EW? Well, uh, I, I, when are you posting this podcast? Probably within hours of this conversation oh. wrapping up. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, then I would tell you, uh, keep an eye out for tomorrow, Friday. I'm going to have a couple of stories now. You know, I'm, I'm using every part of the buffalo from these interviews, so all the best stuff has come forth. But, you know, uh, since I know you guys are such big fans of Simon Peggs, yeah. uh, I have an expose writing about him and his involvement in The Force Awakens. Uh, I can't promise you that you're going to be happy with it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow the lid off of Simon Pegg. Ooh, blowing the lid off Simon Pegg. He's going down. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> well, that's great. So we'll be looking for that and uh, all the other Star Wars reporting you have coming up uh, on EW. Uh, congrats, man. Congrats on uh, making this connection with the, the production. This is... Easily the most talked about film of the year, and uh, you're right there, man, well, down in the trenches. I, I hope the connection I have is to the uh, to the fans. You know, I hope that that's why I'm doing this. Is uh, I hope I'm speaking your language and telling you guys what you want to hear. All of you listeners out there, uh, it's a pleasure to write stories, and I feel like the guy. I feel like Santa. I get to open up my bag and give you uh, give you good stuff. So. Uh, Thanks for reading it. All Keeping right, well, me in business. Definitely keep them coming. Keep them coming. All right, man. Anthony, thanks so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. Keep in touch, okay? Say Will hi do. to me on Twitter and all that. All right. Bye. Bye. Take care. So definitely be checking out the uh, pages of Entertainment Weekly this week as well as the digital pages at EW.com for more from Anthony Bresnikin. And I'm sure that's just the... the uh, tip of the iceberg of what we can expect from anthony as all these movies unfold from the force awakens and beyond you know and jim he mentioned you know that great reveal that entertainment weekly had with the uh top style trading cards when we first were introduced to the characters names yeah and you know it just goes to show you just the incredible uh impact that tops uh has had over star wars Oh, without question, without question. And, you know, a lot of people say, hey, Jimmy Mack, what do you do to kill time between shows? Well, I use the uh, Star Wars Card Trader app to uh, have fun and collect digital Star Wars trading cards. And, you know, those trading cards that Anthony was talking about have been reproduced on the Star Wars Card Trader app. And uh, they're, they're out there. You could collect them. You could trade for them. And uh, what I love about them, of course, is that they're done in that retro 1977 tops look for Star Wars trading cards with the 
the Starfield border and the, the Starburst with the Star Wars logo in there. But the images are from Star Wars The Force Awakens. And I expect much more of this kind of thing to be coming from Tops and the Star Wars Card Trader app. And we are so happy to be teamed up with Tops to get the word out about this great new app. Last week, Jason, we gave away over 4 million credits to the Top Star Wars Card Trader app. I, that's got to be a record. Who's ever given away 4 million of anything? <laughs> Even, you know, except, well, George Lucas sold Star Wars for 4.4 billion. So I guess, you know, he's the one who set the bar up so high. I'm going to have to get on the phone with my friends from Tops and say, you know what? We have to match Lucas and give away 4 billion next time. And then our partnership comes to an end. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But you know what? We are going to be giving away more credits. And so thank you, everyone, last week who participated. And uh, stay tuned here at Rebel Force Radio. We'll be talking with the guys from Tops to get some behind-the-scenes stories about everything that goes into making the amazing trading cards and the digital cards that you can collect on the app. It's so much fun. Get the Star Wars Card Trader app. Collect Trade everything from legendary 1977 Star Wars cards to the new cards featuring exclusive content from, yes, Star Wars The Force Awakens, just like we were talking about. And you do it all from the comfort of your mobile device. It's the Star Wars Card Trader app. These are the cards you're looking for. All right, we do have a few uh, more news stories we do want to run through. Um, Well, one big one. Huge. Uh, Now, Now, does this qualify? Jason, mm. as a spoiler. Boy, oh boy. Uh, <laughs> I, I, think, I think it does because this has not been released through official channels. Thank you. So, All right, let's do it. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Don't say, don't say we didn't warn you. Chewy. Right. Yeah. And I, because, and, I, and I would say, Jim, what also backs up the notion this is a spoiler is the fact that it's been pulled so this is a story or excuse me a photo that was uh, leaked online today by star wars 7 news.com and as quick as it appeared it uh, was pulled like a force ghost it vanished but we were able to snag it and what we're looking at is the first photo of mark hamill as luke skywalker in 30 years, on the set of Episode 7. And uh, to describe it, I, I guess the best way would be, think of Old Ben yeah, in Episode 4 with the longer robes, not the right. short robes where, you know, when you, when you go back and you look at the, um, some of the making of material for Episode 1, they, they talk about why they ended up shortening those robes because it was just too difficult for the actors to do those incredible lightsaber battles. Um, So what we have with Luke is wearing the longer robe, the longer inner robe, a la Ben, along with the, uh, the iconic outer robe with the hood, Um, the cloak, the cloak. Um, But what we're looking at is a, everything is just a shade lighter. Um, across the board. So even the cloak is more of a a dusty tan as opposed to the more kind of 
brownish orange uh, of uh, of Ben's or the darker brown. Um, the inner the inner cloak and the tunic is uh, uh, is white in some cases and kind of a cream color in other cases. So it's highlighted with sort of a cream color. Um, still the leather belt with the uh, the packs, the leather packs on it. Um, he's sporting the beard. He's got some gray in the beard. Uh, but I tell you what, he looks bad A, if you know what I mean. <laughs> well, obviously, it is a reference to Obi-Wan Kenobi. And that makes all the sense in the world. Going back to 1983, George Lucas said to Mark Hamill, we will bring you back in the year. At, at that point in time, I think George was kind of eyeballing the turn of the century. So he might have said, you know, around the year 2001 or whatever. And you will be playing an older Ben Kenobi type character. And so it appears that they're taking this very literally and they are actually dressing him in the robes of Obi-Wan Kenobi as we see him in A New Hope. Ben Kenobi. The lighting, this is obviously just a wardrobe reference shot. We're not actually seeing Mark as Luke Skywalker under studio lighting and, you know, being properly photographed for a scene in the film. We're seeing just a weird wardrobe photo where he's standing on a little platform. There's uh, lighting fixtures around him, and he... uh, he does look like he's about ready to rip your sternum. <laughs> yeah, he does. He's you know, kind of like, he's, what did you just say? Yeah, he, he does have. He kind of giving you that side eye glance. Yeah. Like uh, so many people do on public transit. Um, <laughs> maybe that's just me. I don't know. But uh, he definitely does have that. He's yeah, embodied. He's at you like you just took the last seat. And he's he got to stand tough. there and hold the, the, the pole. He looks pretty tough. Now, just by looking at this wardrobe shot of Mark Hamill and thinking back to that second trailer we saw at Star Wars Celebration and then 500 times on the internet, there's that that famous sequence in the trailer where you see R2 and then you see the metallic hand reach up and the hand is clearly clothed with a whitish sleeve that's all you see, and it's easy to assume that that is Luke. Do you think that this costume, this wardrobe shot, looks consistent with that that arm that we see being placed on, you know, with the hand on R 2s head dome? I, I I have I have two thoughts about this. I, I think it could go one of two ways. I think w- w- first of all, I do think that that is Luke's hand on yeah. R two. But I think that what we're looking at is either either this is how we're introduced to Luke, mm-hmm. where he is in his kind of, you know, uh, monk, you know, traditional Jedi attire. Right. And then he has to get back into action. And when he gets back into action, you know, the wardrobe changes and he starts to wear something a little bit more akin to what we were used to seeing him in. Uh, in the uh, in the original trilogy, or it's the other way, or we find Luke and he's wearing the Star Wars equivalent of street clothes, and he's sort of abandoned his Jedi uh, robes, 
And there's some sort of reveal towards the end when he is back ready to take his role as, you know, the the, the Jedi Master. So either you know, way, I okay, think here's, here's the evidence. All right, I see what you're saying. And here's the evidence which leads me to believe that this photograph represents the character of Luke Skywalker toward the end of the film, a la the latter of your two uh, proposed uh, scenarios. Mm-hmm. I think that when we meet up with Luke, he's like really ragged and his beard is super scruffy and he looks, he's a scruffy nerfer. Mm. He needs to be groomed. This look, it, it, just by eyeballing this photo, his beard looks groomed to me. He yeah. looks like he's had a shower. Um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I'm just no, trying you're right. to, I think you're right. Yeah. I'm trying to piece together things because we've been led to believe that a lot of the force awakens is going to be focused on the search for Luke Skywalker and the lightsaber that we see being passed to princess Leia in the trailer is something that's going to ignite that search for Skywalker. Luke is become estranged from the relationships that he held in the original trilogy. He's off on his own. He's like Ben now. Mm-hmm. He's a hermit. Mm-hmm. They are searching for him because of something that that lightsaber has revealed, either by its appearance or something else. So they want to find Luke because there's some sort of secret that he needs to reveal. And when they find him, I think he might be a little nuts. And we've talked about this on the show before. And it would be a great showcase for his Joker voice, too. Make that crossover into the Star Wars universe. What, what when, he's, when he's all crazy-like? Yeah, yeah. He's all crazy. Like, remember when um, Indiana Jones in Temple of Doom was under the spell of whatever he drank. And it took short round to put a torch out in his belly to sort of snap him out of it. We might see a similar situation with Luke where someone does the equivalent of putting the torch into his stomach to snap him out. Maybe it's actually short round. Maybe shorty comes back. (laughs) Shorty. (laughs) What are you doing here, kid? (laughs) Wrong franchise. I love you, Dr. Jones. He's all you crying. call him Dr. Jones, doll. So <laughs> that's a crossover we don't expect to see. No. Although Club Obi-Wan was in Temple of Doom, so you never know uh, where, where one franchise ends and the other one begins. But um, so that's my speculation about the character of Luke Skywalker. I don't think we're going to see him being predominant in the film until the very end when he's actually found. And then he goes through a transition of sort of segueing back into civilization. And maybe the way he does it is by donning robes similar to Ben to signify that the Jedi are back and ready to take on whatever this, the, 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 the threat is to the galaxy. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm hoping for one of those great moments uh, where everything seems lost and hopeless, and then all of a sudden, out of the darkness, emerges this hooded, robed figure uh, to kick some, you know what? 
I hope we see him kick some you-know-what. Yeah. He's Luke Skywalker for crying out loud. Yeah. Bring it. Yeah. He destroyed, you know, all but killed Darth Vader, toppled the Empire. Yeah. Encore. Yeah. <laughs> Encore. For sure. For sure. All right. Well, that is, uh, that's going to do it. Before, before we uh, go, we do want to thank... Um, our other sponsor for this week, uh, Dorkside Toys. And, of course, the toys, you're going to be hearing a lot about those in the coming weeks as we lead up to Force Friday and September 4th in the in the release. But I tell you what, one way to avoid having to get in line uh, at Toys R Us at you know 11 o'clock at night is just go to Dorkside. Go to Dorkside. Pre-order everything. Um, they've got it all. They've got the Black Series. They have the Star Wars Rebels, the Saga Legends, the Mission Series, uh, the Pop Star Wars vinyl uh, figures. All that is at Dorkside Toys. And all you have to do to get there is go to shotglassdigital.com, click on the Dorkside banner, and you'll be right there ready to shop and uh, get all your stuff pre-ordered. And you can laugh at all of us waiting in line. We got, I mean, Jimmy and I, we have to do it. It's part of our job. We have to, we're doing it for you. We have to cover this. But you don't have to do it. Um, you know what? It's not just the action figures. They've got the cool Hot Wheels. Um, those are available there at Dorkside. And if you're a loose collector, guess what? They'll sell you loose figures as well. So, And you'll save a few bucks. So that's really, really cool. We love the guys at Dorkside Toys. And uh, I think Wendy likes the guys at Dorkside Toys, doesn't she? <laughs> okay, now here's a great story. Uh, just, you know, doing my morning routine. Shaving. Brushing, flossing, and I have the radio on. And I often listen to my wife, the lovely Wendy Snyder, as she hosts Middays on Chicago's WGN Radio. And uh, they start talking about me, as she, she often does. Wendy likes to bring her lifestyle onto the airwaves as often as possible. So I get brought into the mix from time to time. I meet total strangers on the street who listen to Wendy, and they know more about me than I know about me. <laughs> Very true. And you could hear her on WGNRadio.com. Oftentimes, my Star Wars obsession does get brought up on the air. And in this particular case, the topic of discussion was bank accounts. And should couples keep separate accounts after they're married, or should they combine their accounts to create one account, a family account, uh -huh. like, like most normal people do? Well, me and Wendy are the farthest thing from normal people, so we do still have two separate accounts. Oh, interesting. I got to be honest with you, Jason. It has kept some peace in the homestead over the years because we don't often get in arguments about money. Mm. Mm -hmm. Because she hides her purchases from me, and I hide my purchases from her. Uh -huh. So, <laughs> and as long as all the bills get paid, who's complaining? So uh, this topic was brought up on the show, and wouldn't you know it, Wendy decided to bring in my uh, passion for s collecting Star Wars memorabilia. But better than that, <laughs> you can tell by... The course of this conversation, Wendy has also been noticing things showing up, being delivered to my house uh, from mm. our friends at Dorkside Toys. So uh, check this out. And, you know, Jim can make fun of my $368 boots. Yeah. Had he saw that on the receipt, had he seen that 
on the receipt, but yeah. you know, I'm sure he would spend two hundred and sixty eight dollars on Star Wars action figures at Dorkside Toys. Dorkside so, Toys is having a sale. Well, so I mean, you know, and I would say, Really? Why do you have to have these action figures? You already have all these Star Wars action figures. Oh, they're a new line. Right. So what's you know, now there's I, no issues. No, I guess. <laughs> So Dorkside it's always toys. a sale at Dorkside. Boy, you always know. a sale. You got but, a I mean, plug so on funny. WGN. That's amazing. I couldn't believe it. So I mean, that is that's big money. That's what you get when you when you're a sponsor of Rebel Force Radio. You never know where it, your your message is going to be heard. It could be heard here on Rebel Force Radio or on the airwaves of a major market U.S. broadcast institution. Such as WGN Radio. So, uh, you know, WGN Radio reaches about 35 states. Uh, you could probably find it at 7.20 a.m. on your dial if you're within the listening uh, area. Or, uh, of course, check it out at WGNRadio.com. Wendy has a huge audience. So I thought that was a, a great little uh, added uh, value for our friends at Torxide Toys. And you know what? Well-deserved, too. Go and pre-order Star Wars action figures at Dorkside and keep an eye on their website because you know very soon you're going to start seeing those Force Awakens action figures available for pre-order at Dorkside. You don't want to miss that. Pre-packaged Star Wars characters still in their display box? It's Luke and Obi-Wan and my favorite Chewie. They're all here. I bet my Wookiee. Well, that's why you can't miss a single episode of Rebel Force Radio. You can't miss a single minute of Rebel Force Radio. With all this news that's breaking, you need us more than ever. And you know what, Jason? I got the feeling that we are going to have many more weeks like this week leading up to The Force Awakens. As a matter of fact, I'm willing to predict every week from this week forward is going to be filled with all kind of great reveals and photographs and character names and all sort of great information to... uh, reach us before the film opens. I hope not too much, so don't spoil everything for us, but it's going to be a fun ride as we ramp up to the premiere. And one of the um, things we didn't mention is at D23, I know everyone's excited about D23, and you should be, but uh, JJ was pretty emphatic that not just no new trailer, but no new footage. He didn't leave himself any loopholes. Uh, So aside from a dramatic reading by the actors live... (laughs) Um, No new footage means no new footage, though he did say a new trailer out in the fall. We are predicting we're going to be getting information about Star Wars presence in the future at Disney Parks. We're going to get some information about that at D23. That's something we've been reporting here for the last few months. Not to expect footage at D23, but to expect information about Star Wars at Disney Parks. So we'll be bringing you a full report on that next week on Rebel Force Radio. 
Lots of ways you can uh, hang out with us in between shows. We'd love to have you email us, show at rebelforceradio.com. Tell us what you think. Also, our voicemail line, if you'd like to leave us one seven zero eight three two zero one seven three seven. That's seven zero eight three two zero one rfr You can follow us on Twitter at Rebel Force Radio, at Jimmy Mac Radio, at Jason Swank. Also, our Facebook page. Just search for Rebel Force Radio, where you'll find links to stories and uh, breaking news and uh, great conversation that you won't find anywhere else. The official website, rebelforceradio.com. And as always, you can download, subscribe, and review Rebel Force Radio on iTunes. We do love those reviews. Just one rule. Make it good. Rebel Force Radio can also be found on Spotify. You can get on your Apple TV, WGNplus.com, Stitcher, anywhere you can find podcasts, you can find Rebel Force Radio. And if you have a podcatcher and you can't find Rebel Force Radio, let us know. Because we want to take care of that. Uh, Don't forget about, we'll have uh, show posts. So when there's a new show breaking, you'll hear it on Jedi News, Yoda News sandtroopers.com and uh, also the official Star Wars website is starwars.com you can also find us on srsounds.com Sorcerer's Radio streaming Saturday nights 7pm Eastern Time no excuse to not listen we're everywhere everywhere alright that'll do it for us we'll see you next week love you all so much what an exciting time <laughs> For Rebel Force Radio, I'm Jason. And I'm Jimmy Mag. And remember, the Force will be with you always. <laughs> <laughs>